everybody. Welcome back to the Grey and Lane podcast, where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics in continuity order. Today is the first Sunday of the month when we are recording, which means it's my favorite episode of the month always, the monthly character trial. Today is the long-anticipated trial of the incredible character Marvel Girl, I, it's gonna come across like Marble Girl. Like, do you, I don't know if anyone else is like trips on that that code name a little bit. Mar- Marvel Girl. It always comes out just a little odd. Marvel Girl. I have to slow myself down. Uh, this is a long-awaited one. I know people have been really excited about this one from the beginning because this is such a beloved character. I am thrilled to be welcoming five of my favorite and best-looking podcast friends, an incredible jury of all-female defining, lovely, incredible, lovely people. Uh, so we're going to do a little bit of introduction, and then I will welcome the jury. In the 1940s, it was popular for every superhero to get a sidekick or like a teenage version of the main hero. You had Batman and Robin, Superman and Superboy, Captain America and Bucky, Human Torch and Toro. There were even a few female superheroes running around back then, like Miss America and Wonder Woman. In 1950, Marvel Comics made the character Marvel Boy for a feature. He's real weird. We're going to talk about him today, but go look at the Agents <laughs> of Atlas sometime if you want to. Then, as time went on, it became customary for female versions of popular heroes to be created as well. We got Supergirl and Superwoman, Batgirl and Batwoman. Later, Marvel would prominently have Spider-Man and Spider-Woman, Hulk and She-Hulk. But in the early 1960s, where there weren't a lot of girls running around, the Avengers had the Wasp, the Fantastic Four had the Invisible Girl, and the X-Men had the first female character to get the Marvel name, which was Marvel Girl. Later, there would be, like, Captain Marvel's numbers 1 through 10, and a few Ms. Marvels mixed in. There's a Blue Marvel, other versions of Marvel Boy, and other versions of Marvel Girl. There's also Marvel Man. That's a completely different thing. But the first variant with this name was Marvel Girl, the only character in the 60s to bear the name of the entire company on her shoulders. Marvel Girl at Marvel Girl. Uh, As we begin today's very special and long-awaited trial of Jean Grey, let me first welcome my esteemed and incredible jury members. I'll have you each introduce yourselves, uh, let us know your name and pronouns, where we might know you from, and let me ask you, just as we're beginning, what do you love about Miss Jean Grey? And do you remember your very first Jean Grey story? Uh, Let me begin with my dear friend, Sarah Century. Hi, Sarah. Welcome back to Grey Malkin Lane. Hi. Thanks for having me back at Grey Malkin Lane. I'm so excited to be here and to defend Jean Grey against uh, herself, I guess. So that's really like every every Jean Grey story, <laughs> right? So I'm Sarah Century. My pronouns are she, her. You might know me from many podcasts or perhaps I am a horror writer. I am now a photographer. I do really a lot of things. You could know me from a lot of places. The bus stop. I'm always catching buses. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I love Jean Grey. I love her. And the first time I saw her, I think would have been either kind of in as like a supporting character in an X-Men comic. There's many where she's kind of the main star, but I would say as a supporting character. And definitely uh, X-Men animated series where she's super useless and just faints constantly, right? It's like the famous thing is like, Jean Grey can't do anything on that cartoon. But she can win hearts. She won my heart. I like always loved this character from the very beginning. So uh, I was on the Cerebro Jean Grey episode just talking about how much... Honestly, if you want to find my Jean Grey thoughts, there's just so many places on the internet 
So I'm glad to also be here to kind of reinstate my love for this character. Uh, when I think Jean Grey, the first friend that I think of in association with Jean Grey is my dear friend, Stephanie Nina Pizzarillos, who has published essays about Jean Grey. Stephanie, welcome. Hi. Hi, Chad. So nice to be back here. Nice to have a trial of Jean Grey. And even though Puppet, Math, Puppet Master was fun. <laughs> my name is Stephanie Nina Pizzarillos. My pronouns are she, her. Um, you, I am a writer of prose, of comics, of zines, of graphic novels. You probably see me a bunch of anthologies, um, most notably uh, Speculative Fiction for Dreamers, which features my story, Jean. Yes, that Jean. Hopefully you'll know me for my upcoming debut, Event Horizon Stories of No Turning Back. Um, first Jean Grey moment, uh, it has to be the Phoenix. Um, and in preparing for this show, I was trying to understand how was that my first introduction to Jean Grey, right? Like the stuff came out in the 70s. And it, in preparing, I like realized most of my X-Men are like classic X-Men, so reissues. So I was probably as a teen getting those classic X-Men's and going through the bins and getting stuff on discount. And why do I love Jean Grey? Um, I love that she is reborn. I mean, if I had to come with one simple answer, I love being a different woman myself. After tragedy, after heartbreak, whatever, um, I think that we're all a little bit of Jean Grey. Uh, I love that she's girly, that she's loyal, that she falls deeply in love. And I think out of all of the X-Men, she has powers that I feel are obtainable. Like, I can achieve telekinesis and telepathy, maybe not turning green like the Hulk. So, you know, and I think I've always wanted red hair. Wouldn't really work for me, but that's probably part of it, too. <laughs> so good to see you. And everyone should go check out. I mean, everyone that I have here is like a creative genius and I love all of you. But read Stephanie's article and Sarah's book also. They're both fantastic. Uh, I am also thrilled to welcome my dear friend, Noelle Reed, back to the show. Hi, Noelle. Hi, so excited to be here, especially for this one. Um, I'm Noelle, she, her. I host the X-Men Unraveled podcast and love to join these trials anytime I can. Um, my first intro to Jean was definitely the X-Men animated series. So like Sarah mentioned, fainting really stood out to me, but also the Phoenix story that, that really dug itself into my brain when I was a kid and I first saw those episodes and like Wolverine, I uh, love a girl with red hair, anybody with red hair. So, uh, that always endeared Jean to me. Uh, fabulous. Wonderful to see you. Uh, I'm also... So happy to welcome one of my favorite people, Alicia Wilder, back to the show. Hi, Alicia. Hi, Chad. Hi, everybody. I love being here so much. Thank you for having me. I'm Alicia Wilder. I use she, her pronouns, and you might know me from the Ex-Wife podcast or script readings or trials on Grey Malkin Lane. Uh, I love to be here. So I'm so happy to be back. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that another person on this panelist is uh i'm looking at her from the bottom corner and she's smiling at me so is in my wavelength as the um odd people out in this group because my first introduction to gene was the movies the fox movies um as some of you may know at this point my introduction to x-men comics kind of happened in the last five years totally the last three and a half really um so I didn't, I'm not, I'm not a Jean Grey fan, or I wasn't a Jean Grey fan. And not to say that I didn't, I don't like Jean, but I wasn't, she's not the character that I was originally drawn to of female characters. She wasn't who I resonated with. And I think that 
what I'm like, what I do like about her character and what I've been growing more and more to like about her character is the way that she and the people who write her have taken this sad damsel in distress version of her that happened in the 60s and moved her into the powerhouse that she deserves to be. Like her power level is so impressive and the way that she, she is always putting herself out there for other people, for the good of other people and putting other people first, I think is a really great thing. Um, but my first impressions of her were honestly that she was like, she was strong in power, but just frail in personality and stature. And I didn't like that. That frustrated me. And I think it's not necessarily fair to Jean, but I was like, why are, why are you letting yourself be so weak when you could be so strong? But like, that's not her fault. That's just how people wrote her. Um, but I think that she's really inspiring and that she just keeps pushing on. And I really like what Stephanie said about her being reborn all the time. I think that's really cool. Uh, last but certainly not least, the gorgeous Regina Givens. Welcome, Regina. Hi, I'm Regina. Um, my pronouns are she, her, and you might know me from the House of X podcast or from one of the prior trials I've been on with Chad or from the House of X Facebook group or the House of Goblin, please, or the House of Jean Grey on Facebook. Or the Uncanny <laughs> Experience. Or the Uncanny Experience, <laughs> where we will be um, coming back this year. Hope to see many of you there. Um, my first introduction to Jean was actually when I was around eight and I actually did not meet her as her own character. I met her through Madeline Pryor, who was super sexy, super dark and on the front page of Inferno. And I'm like, who is this woman? And then my dad is like, let me explain. <laughs> so I'm like, dad, are you serious? So he's telling me this, this eight year old child, he's telling me this crazy story about these you know, this clone that stole this other uh, girl's man and then the man returned to the original and like, all, I'm like, what are you talking? <laughs> but I didn't get into Jean Grey on my own until I got a little bit older and was reintroduced to her through the animated series. And immediately I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Can I say that? Is this MA? Yes, you can swear. <laughs> um, I was like, are you freaking serious what the hell is wrong with this woman she's always faint <laughs> but luckily the comics were doing a really great job with Jean around the same time because shortly after I was introduced to her on the animated series I got to read X-Men number 28 which is Jean Grey versus Sabretooth and she yeah. kicked his ass <laughs> yeah. that, that was when I yes that was really when I fell in love with Jean Grey like fell in love with her and i was just like wow i need to know so much more about this character and then shortly after that came um the adventures of cyclops and phoenix where she goes into the future with cyclops to raise baby cable and then i fell in love with cable and you know i'm complicated and i love all of these characters for completely different reasons <laughs> but that's kind of been my journey with Jean is just like this sort of loathing and then this sort of incredible love and then the way she was treating Rachel, I was like, what? Now I'm confused again. <laughs> so it's it's been a little rough for Jean Grey fans, even through, I think, the present. Um, it's kind of been a roller coaster for me, but honestly, I, I love her just as much as I love Madeline Pryor. I will defend both of them, even when they're both wrong. <laughs> 
Uh, so we'll see where we land today. We'll see. <laughs> I'm excited for this conversation because these always form, like help me form my like solidified opinions on a character. Even after all my research, it's these conversations that shake the tree and all the fruit falls out, you know? Uh, lastly, I'm Chad Anderson. I use he, him pronouns. Uh, I'm the host of this show. Uh, I don't need to give my bio here. You guys have all heard it a hundred times. Um, I am not a Jean Grey guy. And one of the one of the, thing, uh, the things I'm most fascinated about with Jean Grey, much like Cyclops, I feel like she's a very polarizing character. I feel like you have to either love Jean or love Emma. There's a weird kind of rivalry there and you can't love them both. I mean, you can, but among fans, I find people that either adore her, she's their queen, right? People like, God, Queen Jean Grey, or they just fucking hate her and she's the worst. They they choose Madeline Pryor. <laughs> I do think the redundancy of the Phoenix Force storylines really like shapes some of my opinions about her because the Phoenix exhausts me in the way like that Galactus exhausts me. I hate those like stories of these God forces that just come back again and again. Uh, however, I am not a Claremont X-Men fan. I started my read during the Nicieza and Lobdell era. So my first experience with Jean Grey was also Jean on the cover with Sabretooth kicking his ass. And then like the Onslaught era and all that stuff, the, the, the same stuff Regina was just talking about, the time travel honeymoon, you know, all of those things. The cartoon in the movies, I was never a big fan. Through this show, I have become an enormous Jean Grey fan. Reading the Silver Age and taking my time and learning this character's development over the years, mm -hmm. seeing what they are doing with her in the Krakoan era. Uh, mm -hmm. X-Men Red is kind of a high point where she really gets to come back strong and be different. A rereading X-Factor in the 80s was fascinating and examining this character and what she goes through. And then you can start to appreciate what Claremont did with her in the Phoenix storyline, which is epic and incredible given the early 70s. I started this year's show trials out with Madame Hydra, who is the evil Nazi crazy lady, right? That's where we started because it's a whole new era on the show. And we get to go to Jean Grey next because this is the era when she finally gets to be complicated. The trials this year get to take on a little different tone. We're analyzing some characters from some new perspectives. And my opinion, and I'll, I'll kind of shout this out early, I think Jean Grey is the Captain America of the X-Men. She's like a fucking superhero. She's stubborn. She is moral. She has ideas about what it means to be a hero. And she judges everyone else by those standards. She has a huge heart. But if she does not like you, she will fucking let you know. And you have no place with her. Uh, she's interesting. And the way she chooses to use her powers, as interpreted by dozens and dozens of writers over the years, when you look at it in one long through line, and the way those complexities of particularly the Phoenix Force and the White Hot Room have been used to enhance her character in recent stories, I find her intensely fascinating. So I'm really excited about today's, uh, today's conversation. We're going to have a lot of stuff to say about this character. We're going to begin with the Silver Age, because with all characters, we have to analyze them during the times in which their stories are being told. And G. Grey is that original 60s girl that did not get a lot of room in the early X-Men. So in X-Men number one, Jean Grey arrives at a school full of boys. They ogle at her through the window. When she puts on her form-fitting costume, they peer around the wall to stare at her. They sexualize her in a very, like, leave-it-to-beaver 1960s kind of way. The all-male creators of this comic book give the young boys permission to sexualize her all the time in a very, again, innocent kind of 60s way. 
look at this redheaded pinup girl who can move things with her mind. Uh, she's always in like little ballerina poses with her arms out and her hip cocked, you know. A few issues later, Professor X, the leader of the team, even lusts after her a little bit, which was very customary for teachers to do with their students at the time. Go see the uh, Candy Southern Smut episode <laughs> if you'd like more thoughts on that. Uh, as long as they think about them when they are older, they're not children anymore, so it's fine. In those early years, Jean's never really given a lot to do. She threads needles with her powers and reads books in the air. Uh, sometimes she gets relegated to being the team nurse or the cook or the housekeeper or the fashion designer. The boys all want to date her, but she has her eyes on the focused, studious, shy, stubborn, and emotionally repressed Scott Summers, who can't even take off his glasses to look at her. And it takes them way longer than people realize to get together. It's like over a decade in a Claremont story before they kiss. When all the male members, including Professor X, get a three-issue backup series featuring their origins, Jean gets one five-page story uh, written really coyly and really brilliantly by Marvel's first female writer, Linda Fight, who I did get to interview on this show. It was a huge honor, in which she, tongue-in-cheek, uh, has Jean Grey using her powers to clean the house. Uh, later, Jean goes to Empire State University. She dates uh, Ted Roberts for a little while. I'm pretty sure she lost her virginity to him. We meet her mom and her dad and her sister. She was a bikini model. Uh, she gets a new green mini dress with a cat mask at a particular point and designs costumes for the rest of the team. One time, Warlock captured her. I have an episode on that weirdo uh, on the Patreon. It's a public release with Bob Quid if you'd like to go listen. Uh, and he wants to make her his mutant queen. Uh, one time when Professor X feigned his own death, Jean Grey was the only person that he told. She's telekinetic, and those powers get more impressive over time in the 60s as she learns how to levitate herself and lift boulders and ships and spin juggernaut around in the air. Jean slowly starts to showcase her powers of telepathy as well later in the 60s, and then she proves to be a more valuable member of the team as they face increasingly dangerous threats, world domination plots, alien invasions, mutant hunting robots. She stands out as unique even if it takes her a little while to develop in a very similar way that the Wasp and the Invisible Girl kind of have similar journeys. So let's open today's show by sharing our thoughts on the portrayal of Jean Grey in the 1960s or the Silver Age. What are your thoughts uh, on Jean before Claremont comes along? That Linda Fight story is really good. I enjoy it a lot. It's super campy and fun. I think people will enjoy it. The 60s are basically just Jean and Scott being like, I can never tell the other one about my feelings. And then like you have a, can or like a character like Candy Southern who comes in and it's just like, like and just having like the best time of her life and her and warren are like clearly clearly very like sexually active and i always just compare scott and Jean to those two i guess during this time because they're so miserable but that's them and i think that that's really sweet kind of like they make each other so miserable <laughs> but it, it's like in a long-term way you know like in a character defining way which i think is special you know and that's kind of it. She's mostly like Scott's girlfriend or like she's there as like, you know, the same as you say, Invisible Girl and uh, The Wasp, both of which are characters that turned out to be really cool down the road. It just took a little while. We uh, we did a very brief review last Christmas of the Marvel parody magazine, Not Brand Ech, where they do an X-Men story. Jean Grey's called Marble Girl. She's wearing this awful poodle skirt. 
And there's a there's a single panel there where she's thinking like, Scott, why don't you love me? And then she thinks to herself, actually, no, this is Scott's month to pine after me, not my month to pine after him. <laughs> it's actually pretty great. It's from 1967. It made me laugh pretty hard. Uh, Silver Age Jean Grey, what do you think? I mean, I think she's a, she's a product of her time. She's the Smurfette with brains, you know, she's <laughs> trying to, you know, manage all that male attention and still be sweet and innocent, you know, as you like your girls in the 60s, I guess. Um, you know, she's given mental powers. She's not physically strong, but she's a woman, so she can manipulate stuff with her head, right? That makes sense. Um, so, yeah, you know, she's enjoyable for that time period. Um, uh, I liked uh, I liked what she said about that's so funny about candy. Um, I never <laughs> thought about that, but that's actually hilarious. But yeah, she's enjoyable for if you see it in that time lens. And, you know, I, I personally like her little cute outfits, you know, the little skirts under the knee and all that product over time. Noel, you're one of the few people that spent as much time with the Silver Age books as me. Uh, do you have any one, two thoughts on Jean Grey? Oh, they're hard to put together. I'm still in the midst of it. So um, they're rough. Like, it's just, I read it and I'm like, I'm not having a great time when Jean shows up. But one thing, like, I'm on, like, issue 24 on my podcast right now. And I do like seeing her growth. So I try to, like, frame it that way in my head like yes she has to be the nurse and she has to be the cook and they have to have her have cat fights and be jealous of the scarlet witch but you do get to see her develop and i think she she's really just like emblematic of american women at the time and the things mm -hmm. and opportunities that are opening up um so in that way i can appreciate it even though it's a little painful to read page by page and then chris claremont came along and the women in his stories were given things to do. And the characters he kept from the original run are Jean and Scott, well, and Xavier. And they are fully in love now. And Jean is also in love with Wolverine, weirdly, who is the grumpy, mysterious Canadian with the claws. She moved out. She got a roommate in Misty Night for a while. And then came the one story that has come to define her history more than any other. The one that we have not been able to let go of for 50 plus years. The one where she gets to save the day and is revealed to be the most powerful member of the team, later defined as an Omega mutant. The X-Men go on a mission to space, and the ship is crash landing on Earth, and it's going to burn up in the heat and kill everyone aboard. But Jean ushers them back into the back to protect them, and she stays up front and keeps the ship together with her own will. And she's burning up, wasting away. Her skin and her bones are on fire. The ship crashes into Jamaica Bay. And the X-Men emerge, still alive, and then Jean bursts forth from the water as the newly cosmic phoenix in one of the all-time classic costumes in comic book history. It's gorgeous. Everyone knows this. Look, the phoenix has godlike powers and is very emotionally reactive. And over a series of long, a long run of comic books, Mastermind slowly corrupts her and turns her into the dark phoenix by driving her mad. She, then she's on the Hellfire Club, and then she eats a star and kills the Dabari planet. And yes, this is part of the trial later. Then she fights the Imperial Guard over the uh, the Mkron crystal, which uh, she heals and then saves all of existence. And I'm oversimplifying vastly. We'll talk more about this later. But in the end, she ends up sacrificing herself, committing kind of cosmic suicide so she won't kill anyone else. And then it gets complicated. <laughs> so it's tragic and heroic. It's a beautiful story. It's meant to be over. She's dead and buried. It's a huge epic. 
At first, Chris didn't want to kill her, but then he definitely didn't want her to come back. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that John Byrne drew some broccoli people on a planet. She was just supposed to eat a star, but then suddenly she's committing genocide instead. She does come back, however, in the hands of other writers. She's found in a cocoon years later at the bottom of Jamaica Bay, which means it was the phoenix instead of her, but also it was her. Uh, the phoenix died. It's complicated. Before we continue anything about this, I think one of the most important things we need to do right away is to establish what the Phoenix Force is. And I'm going to spend just a moment on this and let's talk about it. In Fantastic Four number 286, we get a slowed down version of what happened to Jean Grey on that ship. And yes, it's in a Fantastic Four book, not the X-Men. Uh, I'm going to ask if you guys are willing, I, I put a little bit of the script here. Stephanie, would you be willing to read the role of the Phoenix Force? And Sarah, would you read Jean Grey in this interchange? The Phoenix, on the, while, while Jean's on the ship, the Phoenix appears to Jean in the form of a glowing woman of light. And here's the conversation. Don't be afraid. I mean no harm. I am fire, a force of life. You called out for aid. I answered. Your form is so fragile. How can you possibly endure? Please don't concern yourself with me. I'm already dead. I'm just too darn stubborn to quit. But if you can, save the X-Men. Especially Scott? How do you know? My consciousness, my form, and its ability com to communicate on this plane of existence derive from you. They provide an awareness of your dominant emotions and memories. Oh, great. You mean you're a figment of my imagination? In part. You are human, Jean Grey. I am the universe. You're me? It is a shell, nothing more. Your own physicality cannot easily be restored. For its own protection, your mind refuses to acknowledge the full extent of the injuries you have suffered. Your existence is far closer to its transition than you know. What do you want from me? You called, child of man, and I, mother of stars, answered. I want to save my friends, and I admit it, I want to live. Then take my hands. What will happen? You will gain your heart's desire. For a price, right? Yes. At least you're honest. I'm afraid. Death is the certainty. Life is the greatest of unknowns. Each day, each moment contains risk. The peril can be as great as the glory. Only in the grave can safety and perhaps peace be truly found. Which do you desire? Who am I kidding? In this case, I dance with the devil himself. I am not that yet. But that is the risk I am taking. Uh, and then she takes on Jean's form, manifesting the famous red and yellow costume and says, I'm alive, more so than ever before, now and forever. I am Phoenix. Bravo, bravo for this good reading. Now, before we discuss things anything further, we got to set up the premise here. The Phoenix Force is one or two things, or maybe both. Number one, the Phoenix Force is God. It's a cosmic entity, one of the fundamental forces of the universe, on a playing field in which she is more than Galactus. She's more equal to the ep like entities representing eternity or death. She's the god of fire and rebirth. 
She's primordial energy on a universal level. She destroys and she creates. Or two, the Phoenix Force is Jean Grey herself at her ultimate potential, a cosmic being ascended from mutant life into that of a universal construct. It's the unrealized potential of the girl from that 60s X-Men book, appearing outside of time and space in another realm full of creation, destroying planets and powering up superheroes. Or the Phoenix Force is both of those things, the chicken and the egg. But before you make your decision, this would be complicated enough if the Phoenix Force were only associated with Jean Grey. And I promise we'll do a trial of the Phoenix Force at some point specifically in the future when we catch up to those stories a little bit. That's not happening this year. But you do need to understand that this cosmic firebird that started in this story has gone on to have hundreds of appearances in Marvel Comics. And it's had about two dozen hosts. It's had at least one of those hosts for decades, and that was Rachel Gray, Jean's daughter from another future. But it's also been part of Hope Summers, Quentin Quire, the Stepford Cuckoos, Rookshire and Corvus in the Shi'ar Empire, Madeline Pryor, Thane, the son of Thanos, Charles Xavier, Diamanda Nero, Fongji, the Iron Fist, Necrom, Echo, Foxfire in the Ultimate Universe. And one time a Tony Stark designed machine split it into five parts where Cyclops, Emma Frost, Namor, Colossus, and Magic all had it. They called themselves the Phoenix Five. In other realities, we've seen Nightcrawler, Storm, Vulcan, and Wolverine have it. Recent stories have also shown the Phoenix Force was a lover of Odin in Earth's prehistory in the Avengers of 1 million BC, and she considers herself partially Thor's mom because she helped deliver him. <laughs> she also lived in the body of a woman named Firehair for a bunch of years and was part of this team. So sometimes when the Phoenix is very, very tired, it hides in the white hot room and lays a Phoenix egg that people try to get. So it's a pretty complicated entity. It's become much bigger than this original story. But let's talk about what the Phoenix Force is, uh, how we define it, and what its connection to Jean Grey is. Because I think it's going to be crucial to understanding this character from 1974 on. What do we think? So I, in my headcanon, the Phoenix force exists outside of Jean Grey. Like it, it maybe it came from her at some point in this like chicken and the egg thing. I really like the way that you said that, but I think that it is this force, this being, and that Jean is the, the entity that it is destined to be in. She is its most compatible host. And that's like part of her sort of destiny is to be one with the Phoenix, but there are maybe things that get in the way of that sometimes, or it's not always it doesn't always sit well with her because it makes her do terrible things like destroy entire planets, um, but that it is meant for her, but that it always also finds it also finds its home and other people like in an attempt to see if Jean is its actual perfect fit. But I think Jean is where it's meant to be. But I also think that because Rachel is of Jean, like Rachel is her descendant, that it could also live successfully within Rachel as well. So that's, in, that's my in, head canon about it. In that interpretation, it, it almost sounds like the Shadow King a little bit, which is a fascinating thought because it's connected to the White Hot Room and the way the Shadow King's connected to the astral plane. Stephanie, what were your thoughts? And I know you're going to do this part of the trial. What were your thoughts on Chris Claremont's original intent behind what the Phoenix Force is? I mean, I, I love what he did with it. I, I think that... And and you could correct me, Chad, because I'm trying to remember because I visited the, his his uh, archive at Columbia University that houses, and I studied <laughs> like all these issues of like behind the scenes. And my understanding, 
and please correct me because it's been a while, was that he did feel she had to die because she became too powerful and he did not want to bring her back. Um, I definitely think, as you said in the intro, and you can correct me, Chad, if that's incorrect, um, you know, we see a more fleshed out woman. We see a, a woman with layers with depth, like all of Claremont's uh, uh, women are. Um, I So I'm perfectly happy with what he did with Jean and where we left, where Jean was left at the end of the Dark Venus saga. Everything after that, <laughs> I can't say I'm on board with. Um, but I, I feel like he accomplished a lot of the goals that um, that he always accomplishes when he writes female characters. That makes sense. Sarah? Yeah, I mean, I love Claremont, Jean Grey. That's where she gets super interesting. Uh, on the Bitches on Comics uh, Patreon, we did the Bitches of X special where we broke down the Dark Phoenix saga. But for me, it starts like... As soon as she starts appearing in the Uncanny X-Men series under Claremont, that's where it starts. Like, that's where Phoenix starts, because it is such a process to get her there, right? It's like she shows up, she's joking around, and then she ends up in space, and there's just all kinds of chaotic things happening. She calls one of that, uh, who's the scientist? It's not Scott Lang. I always say Scott Lang, but the evil one. She, it's in like Uncanny X Men ninety eight. He takes them to space with the Sentinels. Is One it of Cor the Langs. Corbeau or no, oh, Stephen Lang? Stephen Lang. Stephen is it okay? Stephen Lang. Yes. Yeah, so that guy, she calls him a Nazi to his face, and that's awesome. That's kind of how she kicks off the Claremont era of her. I think is by doing like these kind of bold things where you're like, oh, <laughs> new Jean Grey. This is exciting. Like you get to see her kind of breaking out, and then it's. She goes off the rails, obviously, but it's in this way that it just makes so much sense while it's happening because you can see people getting gradually more afraid of her. But she, people have been afraid of her her whole life. And so it's just fascinating to me to watch. Like she's getting a little scarier and a little scarier and just kind of reading everybody's like feelings on her. Like whenever Moira McTaggart is trying to like measure her power and Moira's like, oh, no, that's fine. Everything's cool. Oh my God. She's like going to turn into a supernova. <laughs> like we're in so much trouble, but trying to be chill about it. Like, no, that's cool, Jean. That's real neat that you have these new powers. Goodbye. I must go. And it's just fun. It's so fun to watch her kind of becoming this, like, people have always been scared of her. But as she becomes this hyper-powerful being, and you start to be like, I guess I'd be kind of pissed too, honestly. Like, I don't know. It makes sense to me when I watch it. I'm the wrong person to introduce this, but let me toss this out as a discussion point and let me hear your thoughts. And Regina, if you'll take this one first, I'd appreciate it. There have been some ideas about Jean uh, facing kind of like her emotional repression released, like by letting all of this emotional energy out. That's the manifestation of the Phoenix Force. I've also read theories online, and if we go deep, this is also a Claremont story. We get the flashback later of Jean experiencing the death of her friend, Annie, when she's a child. And that's kind of her first exposure to death and rebirth. Professor X then buries those memories, right? So it's it's all of that coming back that is the Phoenix. There's also theories online about this being connected to her menstrual cycle, this kind of idea of death and rebirth and the Phoenix force manifesting itself in that way. There's some really interesting theories. People think a lot about this story. It's Marvel's maybe most famous story. Like if we have one story that they're most famous for, I think it's this one. Uh, what are some of your thoughts here, Regina? 
Well, I, first of all, I've never heard the menstrual cycle theory, but I love that. <laughs> there's a new cover coming out, if you've seen it, where Jean's lying dead on the ground and there's a phoenix pattern of blood kind of coming out of her and so there's been people yes. kind of talking about that exam if you guys or that examination of this if you guys have seen that cover i love that but i and i love this idea that you know gene is kind of the what what people would i guess push onto what they perceive american women during like the 1960s to be right she's sort of repressed she's like super virginal like she doesn't really kiss her boyfriend. You know, like you said, you've got Candy Southern out flitting like, hey, we're have swingers over here, <laughs> you know? So it's kind of this juxtaposition of like sexuality and good girlism. And then we get Claremont and Claremont's like, fuck that shit. <laughs> you know, let's throw that shit away. Um, I feel like the Phoenix Force is a manifestation of, of creation. And I really think that's how it should be read. That you know, women, you know, being life carriers, we have that. We have the capability to bring forth life in a way that men don't have. You know, you guys do one part, we do the other part. <laughs> but, um, and that's kind of a very heteronormative way of looking at it. But that's kind of the essence of, of creation is that we come together with two different people. They have their parts, they do their thing. And we have babies. And Gene is kind of like, I guess the ultimate daughter of the Phoenix, the Phoenix before Jean maybe didn't have, it didn't have emotion. It didn't have thought. It just was. And then it felt this kindred spirit screaming out into the void saying, help me, help me, help me do this thing that I need so badly to do. And so it pulls into her psyche and Jean gives it word, right? So she gives it word and then that gives it form. And with that form, they do all these really incredible things together. And I do think that becoming part of the Phoenix and having that like quintessential life force flowing through her that she can't control, you know, and a lot of, again, back to the menstrual cycle theory. I, I love this. I'm going to reference it for the rest of my life. Now. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes when we have this huge surge of hormones, we do feel like all of these things that we don't quite know how to control. And usually we do a fine job, but sometimes we can't. Sometimes we just have to retreat and go into like our little, you know, hidey hole and just like stay away from people for a minute because we just need that moment to pull ourselves back together. Jean doesn't get that. She's always out there putting her life on the line, adventure after adventure after adventure. Until finally we get the intervention of Mastermind and Emma Frost with breaking down those barriers that she has. So, you know, I love all of these theories and it's not that they, none of them have validity. A lot of them do have validity and they have validity in different ways. And I love that this is kind of how the Phoenix Force and its relationship to Jean has continued to evolve because even recently when the, Phoenix, when Jean Grey came back and the Phoenix Force came to her and Jean was like, I am complete without you. I don't need you. And that's something that is, you know, she's taking her agency back from this force that she feels has kind of robbed her of that for basically her entire adult life. So 
I don't know. Did I answer your question? Yeah, yeah, you're great. And I want to be clear when we when we talk about this, we're not saying like the Phoenix Force is Jean Grey's PMS. We're talking about a world in which right. she's allowed to be fully realized, in which she's allowed right. to have, own all of herself. Look at what her cosmic potential is in that way, right? right. Which is an incredible right. thing. In that we have to be very careful not to put sexist tropes on this, uh, Lisa, right? I just I really love what Regina just said about this, like the thing that women have that men do not have in like the creation of life. I just think that's such an interesting point. And it had me like taking what Regina said and then like spiraling it into my own headcanon of like this, this entity like existed in the world, in the universe, but it needed a way to like come to life. And Jean was that moment where she like first takes on the Phoenix is like how she gives life to this thing. And that's why it always wants to come back to her because she's the thing that gave it life, but she doesn't necessarily need it. But she has this like nurturing place for it because in a sense, like that makes Jean the Phoenix's mother, which is a brain explosion. Um, but I do like... I do think that Jean really is, she's so, she's so powerful and she's so important in the scope of X-Men comics. And like, as we've all been like sitting here and talking about this and, and who she is up until we haven't even gotten to the trial. Like I came <laughs> into this trial going like, Alicia, you're going to have an open mind about Jean Grey. You're not going to be mad about Jean Grey. And I think that one thing I realized during this conversation is that like, this origination of her of just being like the only girl around that all the boys wanted and everyone's always fawning over her all the time. I think I have like a personal bias against girls that all the boys like because I wasn't that girl growing up. And so I'm like, well, Jean, why does everybody just like you automatically? Whatever. But then you like look at what she does and and like think about the power of the Phoenix and the fact that she's able to like house that and it has moments where it it overcomes her in a way that she doesn't maybe know what she's doing in that moment. But then especially, you know, going further, she also has, she finds the balance between herself and this force, which I think is really cool. And like, she's just so, she's, she's very multifaceted. And I think one of the things that kind of hangs me up is that sometimes those tropes that come from her in the 60s comics, I think they get referenced as a way to say like, we're referencing Jean's whole timeline and that's why they do things like make her faint or make her like not seem as strong as she should be because they're saying these are things that are built into her character. But when you look at the fact that she birthed a cosmic entity to save her team, you're like, yeah, no, Jean, Jean Grey's where it's at. But like, don't quote me on that. Okay. I said it here for this. Yeah, and, and I've talked about this in, on your other shows. I mean, I think the Jean Grey Phoenix story gives us the Eve and the Lilith. It gives us these cross-cultural stories where you have the nurturing mother, the creator, and then the destroyer. I can create, I can destroy. I'm the good woman, the good obedient wife, but then I'm the Lilith. I'm the one that's on top. I'm the one that leaves when I want, and I'm the one that eats stars. Um, so... You know, Jean Grey gets to inhabit, I think, all these stories when it's specifically she being the host. And I do agree that she is the preferred, destined, et cetera, you know, home, um, even though it can hop here and there. Um, and then on a larger le level, it represents the reincarnated self. I mean, if we want to take it there, whether the writers meant that or not. It's uh, it's interesting, too. And I'll share two quick thoughts and then we got to move forward. Or we'll be on this for the whole time. 
Jean, uh, uh, the theory that Jean is the Phoenix, like that the Phoenix is Jean in her final form, if you will. And it now exists in this place of creation, uh, the white hot room outside, which is where the X-Men are literally housed right now in the current comics in the white hot room. This idea then of this entity that is hyper-evolved now attaching itself to mortal forms in order to experience emotion across the timeline a million years ago with fire hair and, and attaching itself to different people, being divided up. It's used as a kind of a tool or it's experiencing life in different ways. It's, it's an interesting thing and I, I still don't know that we quite have the answer of what the phoenix is, but it does certainly tell us a lot about Gene's potential. The counterpoint to this, and this is where we do not have time to go, because I know how long Sarah Century can talk about this, Madeline Pryor as the alternate example of when she's allowed to experience her rage and what that looks like in its final form. Because uh, she is not often seen as a heroic character, right? We're seeing this explored in the comics. But Sarah, we do not have 18 hours for this today. <laughs> well, if listeners would like to hear 18 hours of me talking about Madeline Pryor, you know, there's actually a place for you to go. <laughs> We're not joking. It's 18 hours. It's on Cerebro. It's more it's than incredible. 18 hours. Yeah. <laughs> It was recorded in like five different parts. And by the end, Connor and I are both just like, Madeline, Madeline. We turn oh into God. one of the Summers brothers, just like screaming a redhead's name, you know? So, uh, uh, well, so wait, once, Chad, can I say one thing? Mm -hmm. So when you said, when you were talking about the white hot room and, and the Phoenix, I was like, okay, I we can't get too deep into this. But my brain just went like, what if... Jean as the Phoenix and her final form is a dominion. And that's why the white hot room exists. And that's why it wants to like consume all these other entities and experiences to make it to dominionhood. And like, I just went on a There's a deep dark hole that you have now created in my mind with this theory that the Phoenix and Jean Grey are, are their own dominion. There's a few things in X-Men comics that I hate more than the concept of a dominion. <laughs> I hate it so much. It's so <laughs> we'll terrible. See, and we'll see where they go with it. <laughs> life consuming, but you just you just made me think there's I'm, another one. I'm not taking time to explain dominions or Madeline <laughs> Pryor anybody. You gotta go look them up. <laughs> so everybody in the jury, I think you've got to kind of hold on to that Phoenix energy because that's going to be a huge part of our conversation in the file uh, in the trial to follow, which is why we're taking time to set it up. Now, in an exercise of extraordinary restraint, I'm going to sum up Jean's entire history in a few paragraphs. Okay, so Jean was dead, then they brought her back. Uh, but while she was gone, Cyclops met a female pilot named Madeline Pryor. They got married. They had a baby, little Nathan. And also, Scott and Jean's daughter from a far future which is a complete nightmare, Rachel Summers came back and joined the X-Men in the present and later the Excalibur team. And then she hosted the Phoenix Force for so long that she ended up 2,000 years in the future as Mother Ascani. And when little baby Nathan got sick, they brought him to that future to raise him and he became the time-traveling mercenary warrior Cable. But he also has an evil, powerful clone Strife and a lot of their stories are about what their ultimate potential could be. There's also a younger alternate version of them from the Age of Apocalypse named Nate Grayer x-men they're all part of gene gray's weird family go see philip cv and i's lengthy episode about the summers family for more information on all these details it is way way more complicated but it's important to also note that gene is related to havoc and corsair and vulcan and there are like a hundred alternate versions of all of them so along the way claremont gave us this brilliant backstory of gene gray as a child who telepathically telepathically experienced the death of her best friend annie richardson which drove gene slightly mad until professor x began working with her repressed her powers, 
Anyway, fast forward. So she, when she wakes up from Jamaica Bay, she then helps form X-Factor. Scott leaves his wife and baby in order to be with her. We've still not quite forgiven him for that, but stay tuned for the trial of Cyclops later this year. Uh, he also didn't tell Jeannie he was married initially. It turns out Madeline Pryor was a clone created by Mr. Sinister, but then she goes on to become the evil Goblin Queen, and that is also a trial for another time. Madeline and the Phoenix both die, and then Jean takes on all of their memories. So now Phoenix and Madeline and Jean have always been the same person all along, continuity simplified, except it's not. Scott proposed, Jean said no, they rejoined the X-Men, Jean proposed, Scott said yes, they got married. On their honeymoon, Rachel pulls them into the far future, where they live for 12 years in alternate bodies, raising baby Nathan. And if you thought Mutant Massacre was deadly, you were not ready for the Legacy Virus Zero Tolerance Neverland and the 12, because then Scott died and Jean grieved, and then Scott came back. And then Cassandra Nova raised Jadosha with Sentinels, killing 16 million mutants. Scott and Jean grew apart. She loved Logan, and he loved Emma, and then he cheated with Betsy, and it's complicated. While she was gone, because now Jean is dead again after the Phoenix returns, there was a decimation, utopia, the Shi'ar death commandos horribly murdered her entire family. Go see my epic episode on the Gray family with Stephanie and Pizzarillos. They uh, kill her niece and nephew, all her relatives. Her sister Sarah was already dead. Cyclops then got the Phoenix and killed Professor X. Wolverine opened a new school and named it the Jean Grey School for Higher Learning. Then Beast went back in time and brought the five original X-Men up to the present where they lived for a long time, and apparently they had been here all along. Teenage Jean Grey, now in the 2000s, is horrified to learn about this awful life that her adult self has had. She freaks out with her powers and manifests an entirely new ability while the Shi'ar try putting her on trial because she had been a phoenix in a different life. She now has the ability to turn ambient psychic energy into fuel for her own telekinesis. She outs Iceman. She kisses Teenage Beast. She tries going to college for a minute. She comes best becomes best friends with old man Logan. She flirts with Jimmy Hudson, the kid of Wolverine from another reality. She gets taken over by a symbiote, then killed by a poison. But then she manages to rebuild her own body out of cosmic matter, like stray floating biological material. And then the Phoenix hunts her down and kills her and revives the adult Jean Grey from the White Hot Room, which is an amazing name for a strip club, by the way. And then Teen, G Teen Jean comes back again, and the original X-Men go back to the past, and holy fuck is that a rough story, we'll talk about it. Adult Jean then launches X-Men Red in an attempt to be a hero on a global level. Cyclops comes back, the X-Men launch Krakoa, Jean is on the Quiet Council, Cyclops is a war captain, they live on the moon, where her bedroom has doors that connect to both Cyclops' bedroom and Wolverine's bedroom, and they're all fucking and good for her. And they quit the Krakoan government. They become mainstays on the new team of X-Men. Uh, national heroes are now operating out of a treehouse in New York City. And Jean is fighting crime like never before, defeating major threats like Cordyceps Jones and Nightmare. And she's just a fucking amazing superhero. But then the Hellfire Gala happened, and she's horribly murdered by Maura McTaggart. In her most recent appearances, we're seeing her show up weirdly from the White Hot Room. We don't know where that's all ending up, but Louise Simonson gave us an incredible recent series called Jean Grey, in which she's learning yeah. all kinds of lessons about her life. It's a brilliant summation of the character and her complicated history. And that, my friends, is the story of Jean Grey. Let me hear your thoughts. <laughs> I, did yes, that as, yes, yes. I did that as best I could. <laughs> the Simonson series is so good. Everybody should read it. I loved it so much. She's probably my favorite Jean Grey writer, so it's 
really nice to have her be back. Also, the script that we were just reading where she chooses to be part of the Phoenix, I love that story because it's just this moment where she even has further agency than we already thought she had. Because it's like, yeah, she's dying, but she has this moment where she's like, I could just die. Like, I could just choose that, but I want to live. And so that, like, I want to live, like, that's such a gene thing, right? And so, like, this, the Jean Grey series and having her just be like, I should have done this or this or this or this or this, like, instead, and everything would have been better. And it's like, those are the choices. When we look back at things, we always convince ourselves if we had done something just a little bit different, that, like, it could have been better. And we should feel really bad about the choices that we made, you know, when people get hurt, of course. So it's like, there's a lot of interesting stuff to her, like the the complexity of her choices and how often Jean Grey is like, I don't care about fate. I'm just gonna choose the thing like that I'm gonna do. And I just love that about her. Like to me, the biggest thing about Jean is her autonomy. And every time like she comes out, autonomy is everywhere. I just love to see it every time she shows up just being like, I choose this. And I love the stories where it lets her just choose what she's doing. She chooses her death. She chooses to save the X-Men. She takes everything on herself, which like there's flaws in that approach. And I think that that's like why I relate to Jean. It's like you take so much and then you're just like, I should have asked for help <laughs> like two years ago, like way back there on the scale. So that's what I love about Jean. So that's what I love about the life of Jean. Noel, when you hear me like read all of the like Phoenix host the like phoenix force hosts or like this 50-year summary of gene gray's complicated chronology what happens for you <laughs> at the end i was like this is a white hot mess is like the best <laughs> way to describe it like <laughs> but i will say you know i've this past week has just been all gene for me I've, I was more focused on this than my own podcast and so i read the new gene series like I think three times over this past week because I feel like it just, it brings all of this mess and all of this disconnection between Jean and herself and Jean and the Phoenix and all her different relationships. Yeah, you know, it's just, everything is all over the place. And I thought it really brought it together in a really beautiful way where Jean is able to sort of accept everything that has happened and accept her own decisions and except the phoenix i think um which i think is really important i feel like she always pushes things like you were talking about repression like definitely in those 60s stories like all these things she represses and i like i think of her as like the heart of the x-men um even as fainting jean i was listening to a podcast where one of the showrunners was talking about jean actually wasn't going to be one of the main characters but because of the interactions that her character ends up having with everybody else and them talking to her she got pulled in as one of the main characters and so she's but the, she, she's the matriarch absolutely yeah but she i don't know that she knows how to like accept that or she doesn't realize that she is that and i think this most recent series kind of pulls all of this confusion dying coming back to life cleaning up one mess, making another mess. It just brings it together where she's able to like be her full self. 
Stephanie, I know you're a person who associates Gene belovedly with that original Phoenix Force story. When I'm exposing you to the time travel story and like the multiple deaths and rebirths, and what's it been like for you to jump into 50 years of extra Gene continuity? <laughs> so, I mean, I did follow her through the Madeline Pryor, the cable, like I wasn't that, right? I stopped one and I take issue in one of your descriptions, Chad. Yes. I stopped. Here's when I stopped. I stopped reading comics for 20 years because she did not grow apart with Scott. He was a fucking asshole that was having a <laughs> affair with Emma. Okay. That's Fair. how it went down. Fair. All right. That's the worst. Maybe. That's the worst. <laughs> Maybe she lusted for Wolverine, Wolverine, but she wasn't in no psychic realm with him doing her thing. So. <laughs> So to answer your question, like I wasn't totally oblivious, but it, it is so much of a soap opera that at some point my mind's just like, ah, I can't, you know, uh, you know, but going back and reading and preparing for the show, it was nice to see that she's still the gene, you know, who she was and who I remember that sincerity is still there. I mean, the, the gene series. Um, I, the, re I, the recent uh, Louis Cyrus series. Yeah, yes. Um, for any of you, if you ever watched the show or old enough to watch the show, it so much reminded me of the last episode of Seinfeld, um, where all of the characters were just like put on trial and we look back at all the shit they did and they had an opportunity to figure out what I have chosen differently. The answer was, nah, not like just shrug your, because that's who they were. And I kind of feel like that's what we got with, with Gene in the end. It's like, you know, this is who I am and it's okay that life worked out, uh, for me that way. When Bendis launches all new X-Men with the time traveling team, Gene's not the hero in the background anymore. Gene takes front and center as the POV character. And even though it stretches on for a really long time and there's some weird fucking continuity, it's pretty great until the poisons happen. That's a, the, the symbiote poison stuff is very painful. <laughs> I'm traumatized. Well, I'll, I'll save that for the trial. <laughs> But it's wonderful to see her take the spotlight in that way. And then we do the continuity thing where that was the way it always was. Uh, any thoughts on time traveling teen Jean Grey from anyone? Yeah, I think that that version of her or that like era for her shows that there is there's potential that Jean could go bad. Like she, there could be a Jean Grey villain because she is so powerful and she's like so young in that moment and realize like when she gets to the future and realizes how much has been kept from her like there are moments where she like wants in her adolescence like doesn't understand how to take in all of that information and like process like what's been let like kept from her and how strong and powerful she really is that you know like this is something one of the things is in my trial point is that like there are moments where she starts to just use her powers because she can and doesn't like really think about them the way that she does in other instances and doesn't have a lot of like compassion in them. She's just like, I can do this. Like I'm Jean Grey, like whatever. I'm in other gonna... words, she lets herself be Professor X for a few minutes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> she gets like a taste of she's like, oh, Charles has been holding me back because I could just just put him out of business. We don't actually need him. Like I'm Jean, whatever. And I think that it's really interesting to see her journey through that storyline and the different places that it takes her and how she has those like moments where she does something just because she can, but then she remembers like who she is and what her actual motivations are and why she wants to be a superhero and not just a superpowered person or a supervillain. Um, but yeah, I just, I love the way that she gets 
the knowledge of her full scope of powers or like what's been hidden from her during that time. And then I think the whole back and forth of like, if I go back in time, I'm going to lose this or um, will my memories be erased or like not wanting this idea of having someone else have control over her. And I think that that's something that's interesting about the most recent series is that she does get to look back on that and say, well, what happens if I, if we did go back, but I didn't let Charles take those memories away from me? Or, you know, what happens if I did make a different choice when it comes to the Phoenix and like really is a beautiful way for her to kind of make the realization as the Phoenix is sort of like telling her like, no, you are who you are and that's who you're supposed to be. And that's why you're so important. And that's why, you know, you're here. And I think that's, yeah, that's yeah. in general, just a really beautiful statement. So we've talked about her history. We've talked about her uh, silver age time. We've talked about the Phoenix. Let's talk about Jean as a character for a few minutes. And then we will commence with the trial. Jean Grey is complicated. She's a powerhouse. She's an omega level, mu omega level mutant who communes with the fundamental forces of existence on both a telekinetic and telepathic level. Consider telekinesis, which is simply the ability to move things with your mind. Uh, you can move a remote control across the room or throw juggernaut over a mountain. But on a more extreme level, she can construct organic matter out of like material on an organic molecular level and place her mind into the new body. Uh, consider telepathy, which is the power to read minds or project thoughts, erase memories, heal traumas. But also she can enter the astral plane and take on the forms of memories of, uh, excuse me, take on memories of other people in physical shape there. The extent of these abilities for Jean are astronomical, depending on where she's at with her journey. She's been mind-linked to Cyclops for many years, giving them a level of intense intimacy that few people could understand. Jean Grey is many things. She is a goddamn superhero. She's the token female. She's a fashion icon. She's been a student and a teacher and a headmistress. She's been a daughter, a sister, and an aunt, but also the girlfriend, the dutiful or jealous wife, the sometimes reluctant surrogate mother. She's been cloned and killed and killed and killed. She's a mutant. She's an Omega talent. She's been a freedom fighter, an anti-hero, a team leader, a martyr, an icon. She's been the leader of a nation. She's consumed stars in space. She's created internal realities on the astral plane and in the white hot room. She's traveled through time and altered history in both the past and the future, and the past future and the future past. She's a healer and a listener. She's dedicated to the cause of mutants first and foremost. She's also extraordinarily brave and savvy. She's not always great at thinking through the consequences of her decisions, and she could be a little emotionally reactive at times. She's a very loyal partner, but also an easily jealous one, when written by a man at least. She understands that someone can love more than one person at the same time. She can be an amazing leader and a teacher when she's focused, but she's also often very easily distracted. She's very, very stubborn. She can be impatient. She's been Phoenix and Dark Phoenix and Red Day Spring, but sometimes her entire superhero code name is just Jean fucking Grey. Imagine coming back from the dead and discovering that the man you loved had married your clone and had a child. Imagine coming back from the dead another time and discovering that your parents and your entire family have been horribly murdered while you're gone. Imagine being a teenager and traveling to the future where you learn about this awful life that your adult self has had, and now you're dead. Imagine living through each of these things and still choosing to be a hero. And that's Jean Grey every time. 
Jean has many close and complicated relationships and deep connections to her teammates, primarily Cyclops, Angel, Beast and Iceman, Professor X, Storm, Wolverine, Rachel Summers, Cable, Madeline Pryor, Mr. Sinister, Psylocke. You may know her most from the cartoons where she faints a lot, or the movies where Famke Jensen and Sophie Turner didn't quite get her right. There have also been very important versions of her in other realities, from the Ultimate Universe to the Age of Apocalypse, where she's the POV character. She's a character that's intrinsically associated with the X-Men, one of your first characters that you think of, with Wolverine, Cyclops, right at the top. She's right at the very forefront of that list. What are your thoughts on Jean Grey's personality and portrayal? I love her so much. Oh my God. I love her so, so much. And you know what? Honestly, like you list all of the really great things that she's done. And I'm sure that that's like what goes through her head too. Anytime she's like losing an argument, it's like, I just, I went to the white hot room and they're treating me like this. But I think <laughs> that there's something really great about Jean and her flaws because the thing where Jean, um, you know, she pushes her power around sometimes. She has a lot of power. And there's times where she's in a conversation with somebody and then it's like, bam, there's like a hole in the wall now because Jean doesn't want to use her words or whatever. And she flies off angrily. I love that, Jean, because I definitely just relate to that character who's kind of, it's like she's, I've said before that I think that she's kind of a bully, and but I want to be specific. I think she's a bully to bullies, right? Like she sees somebody bullying other people and that infuriates her. And I think that there's something really kind of admiral, or admirable about that. But I also think that there's a downside to that. And I think that that's something that I always see of myself in Jean whenever it's just like, there's times where if somebody pushes like these buttons or these buttons, maybe I overreact too. And like, I think that Jean sees herself when she does that and really has to struggle with that part of herself because it's like her and Wolverine clearly like that. People go, what's that attraction about? And it's like, because she's also an asshole, <laughs> like in some ways, you know, not extremely, not in a way I hate or don't like. I think that she's really compelling because of that. And because it's like all of her anger is so rooted in care for other people that it's like, I think for her, sometimes that leads to blurred lines, just like it does with Professor Xavier, right? And I think that those are things that we need to tackle, you know, whenever we're looking at fiction. So there's something about Jean having these kind of complicated morality things like, oh, well, she's really good. So it's okay that she took your memory of that or like whatever and I think that she's the character that we kind of explore that with more because Charles will just shut that conversation down so like the fact that Jean is here open and listening at least even though sometimes she's like goodbye bam big hole in the wall even <laughs> though it's like she still is an interesting character because of it and I always really like her because of it uh Regina and then Stephanie Yes, I love everything you just said, Sarah. Um, one of my favorite issues with Jean is those kind of quiet moments right before the shit hits the fan. So X-Men number 53, I know a lot of people really don't like the onslaught um, storyline, but we get this fabulous issue of her walking through the past and human hypocrisy and all of these things. And she directly addresses the way that she handles it. She's just like, you know what? I have to look this man in the face knowing he's fantasizing about fucking me. Like literally. Yeah, that's <laughs> and, in the comic. <laughs> right. And I have to look at him in the face as if nothing is wrong. Imagine repressing that all the fucking time. 
And then you see somebody bullying somebody else. Yeah, I'm gonna let loose on you a little bit. And that's okay because she's still human. And she still puts limits on herself that I don't think Xavier has. She still manages things more ethically than Xavier, not perfectly <laughs> and not 100% of the time, but often enough that you can see the restraint that she still has to put on herself to not just knock the shit out of somebody telepathically or telekinetically, because I'm telling you, if I had Jean Grey's powers, you would not like me. <laughs> uh, Stephanie. Totally. Yeah, totally feel that. Um, yeah, I think it's a, a good point. Uh, time to note, like Jean Grey is often uh, quoted by black female comic fans and comic creators as being a great ally. Um, you know, her friendship with Misty Knight, her friendship with Storm. Um, I just, when Twitter Twitter was a thing for a lot of us, I just remember, remember there being a lot of conversations on why um, uh, folks were drawn to Jean Grey as a character. And, you know, her free female friendships in general, which we don't see in every character. And yes, the people are contrasting mostly Emma. Um, but um, particularly, um, I just heard chatter and seen, I remember seeing on Twitter, Black female comic creators and fans specifically pointing out they felt safe. They, you know, Jean was an ally. Um, so that that sticks out with me a lot um, in thinking about her as a character and how she's written. She's also, and I love the, I love a flawed character. She's also very jealous when Rachel comes. She doesn't want a kid from the future. When someone's flirting with her man, she is not interested, right? Like she can be pretty cruel to people sometimes, but you understand it's very relatable. Uh, and I'm going to sum this up in kind of final conclusion in this part. Uh, the Louis Simonson series uh, that we've all read and love, if we oversimplify it, it's Jean revisiting her past and seeing if things could have been done differently. Issue number one is primarily her saying, what if I took the rules away and let my powers be corrupt? What if I did that? Would it make the world better? In the next issue, it's very much about what if I don't take responsibility for things? What if I let someone else be the phoenix and it doesn't end well? In the next issue, it's very much about what if I allow... Uh, myself to, it, it's it's difficult to summarize the third story a little bit. It's, it's a little bit about what if I try too hard? What if I try something different and I'm like really questioning myself? And then Madeline Pryor like eats the whole world with the phylloxvirus thing. <laughs> it doesn't end well in any of those. Uh, kind of culminating in the fourth issue where it's Jean saying, all right, I love myself. I take responsibility for everything that I am and I'm just going to be the best version of me. It's really beautifully uh, explored and it's so dense in the continuity, but they push it in a way that's just brilliant. Bravo, bravo. Louise Simonson, uh, the best Jean Grey writer, uh, maybe even more than Claremont. I really, I really love this series. X-Men Red's also a really good example. And I quite enjoyed Jean Grey's first solo series, uh, like the, the time traveling Jean Grey, uh, yeah, where she's kind of trying to run away from the Phoenix and, and ends up getting consumed by it anyway. It's also really good. There's some phenomenal Jean Grey stories out there. Uh, so we're going to commence with the trial of Jean Grey. There's like a really interesting energy. She's complicated. I like her and I'm like kind of sitting with like how I feel about this. So the trial is going to be interesting here. Uh, we've each been asked or each of my jury members has been asked to review a particular section of Jean Grey's history. As with all trials, we have five trial points. I have to creatively select what I'm putting a character on trial for to make it make sense. At the end of each section, each jury member will be voting one through five. One means least culpable, five means most guilty. Uh, so we get to determine what that scale looks like however we like, and we will take a final score at the end. 
Uh, trial point one, we are calling teenage time travel. The assigned jury member here is Noel Reed. I hope you enjoyed visiting these insane stories. The key issues here are all new X-Men 8, 11, and 15, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, number 13, and all new X-Men number 40. And the reading lists on these were much shorter. I hope you all appreciated that. <laughs> I was actually very impressed, Chad. I was like, for a character with so much going on and so much continuity, I was expecting to easily read 12 to 15 comics. So I knew I knew the, I knew the discussion <laughs> part would be more important than the trial part. So I tried to keep it simple. <laughs> Okay, when the Beast traveled back in time and lied to the original X-Men to bring them to the present, teenage Marvel Girl found herself in the complicated world that she could barely comprehend, one where the X-Men had split into factions and Cyclops had killed Professor X. Jean's telepathic powers emerged before she was ready, and she soon learned of the very complicated world of her adult self in a world where Jean was dead, where her marriage had failed and she'd wiped out the entire an entire planet, where her parents and family had been horribly killed. In order to keep from going back to the past and facing this complicated life, uh, in order, you know, which we can fully understand, Gene mentally influenced Teenage Angel, removing his will when he wanted to abandon the team. When the Angel desired to leave the team from the Jean Grey school and instead join with the adult Cyclops' team at the new Xavier school, she took over his mind in a fit, forcing him to stay until she was telepath telepathically forced to stand down. Kitty Pride, as Professor K, tried guiding Jean and taking responsibility for her powers and pressured Jean to return to the past in order to save the entire fucking space-time continuum. But Jean refused to go back and live out the life that she'd seen in her mind, even when the others wanted to go back. Due to these extraordinary circumstances, Jean developed even greater control of her telekinesis and telepathy, mastering them at new levels. Wanting to chart a different course for herself, she read the thoughts of the adult beast, who was reminiscing on how beautiful Jean was and how she, he loved her. And then she walked over and started making out with Teen Beast. Maybe I can do something different, she thought. When Jean Grey was kidnapped by the Shi'ar and put on trial for actions she had never committed as the Phoenix yet, Jean was found guilty while being blocked from her powers. So she found a way to draw psychic energy around her to boost her own powers, covering herself in pink telekinetic energy. And she lashed out at the Imperial Guard and the other aliens responsible, all while admitting that her future self was responsible for the crimes of the Phoenix. She returned to Earth with the X-Men, defying an international tribunal. Later, Jean pulled Bobby aside, having read his thoughts, and outed him as being gay. He was initially defensive, but ended up hugging her by the end of the story. Let me turn it over to my friend, Noelle. I have to tell you, I have avoided this series, like the plague. And so this was um, interesting for me to actually dig in. So <laughs> You're welcome. As <laughs> She did not say thank you, folks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. I, I did enjoy it at the end. Um, so as the prosecution, I have to acknowledge that Jean Grey is a teenager at the time of these crimes. However, as all superheroes know, and she was told explicitly by Kitty Pride during these events, with great power become with great power comes great responsibility. So we have to examine how responsibly Jean acted with her newfound power of telepathy. And the short answer is abysmally, friend or foe, everyone is a target to her psychic violation. She repeatedly invades the minds of her fellow teammates and continues doing so even after she's been warned by her mentors. 
Um, when Warren makes a decision she doesn't like, that he wants to go back to their own time, she pretty egregiously violates his personal autonomy by telepathically changing his mind. And when her teammates confront her, she responds by just saying, Warren will be fine. And it's really callous for somebody who is literally using their telepathy um, and can see inside Warren's mind and what he's going through. Um, then she does the same thing again to Warren, and he wants to leave with the older Cyclops, and she holds him telepathically and starts a fight because she doesn't agree. And Jean does not choose to stop this, as everyone is telling her how wrong this is. She carries on and has to be forced to let Warren go. Then when she reads um, the older beast's mind and find out that the younger beasts have feelings for her, she confronts the younger one and says, when were you going to tell me you were in love with me? And he's like, that's not fair because he knows it's her powers that gave her this information. And she says, um, it's just about being honest with each other, even though she only knows this from her dishonest use of her new powers. Um, and finally, just to answer any doubt about Jean's ability to control her newly discovered telepathy, when she uses her powers to the full extent and she's on trial by the Shi'ar, she does something incredible and new with them. Um, so to me, this demonstrates that if Jean chose to, she could rein in her unhinged use of her telepathy. And the only reason she doesn't is she chose not to. And of course, we have to mention the Iceman thing. Um, when Jean uses her new abilities, that's an right after issue, I think, 24 of all new X-Men. And when does she do the Iceman outing him as gay thing? Issue number 40, much later. So this is not a case of a young mutant struggling with her powers. Rather, it's a case of a telepath choosing to see herself as having the right to control others simply because she has the ability. Okay. I always love it when you can tell, like, you're on the side of the defense, but you tried your best with the prosecution. <laughs> Go ahead. I believe everything I say when I'm saying it. <laughs> you mentioned Seinfeld earlier. Um, George, it's not a lie if you believe it. So, as the defense. Jean Grey is a child in traumatic and confusing circumstances, and no matter what the prosecution claims, Jean is not a person in full control of her powers. She repeatedly says how hard it is to go through her day now hearing the thoughts of others. She describes um, some people like the Scarlet Witch just screaming their thoughts out into the world and it's impossible for her not to hear them. And when she's arguing with the older Cyclops and Magneto, Jean, you see Jean in a panel just surrounded by everyone's thoughts. So she doesn't know how to tune everything out. And at one point, Magneto, whom I love, has the gall to say she's not using her powers the way Charles Xavier taught her. And to that, I have to say, are you fucking kidding me? Charles Xavier is the man who uses his telepathy to control people, wipe their memories, and he's done so in front of Jean by the time she's time displaced. So as reckless as Jean might be, she's doing exactly what her telepathic role model taught her. And... What that is, is that telepaths are allowed to violate other people's autonomy and that their power inherently gives them the right to do so. That's what Jean has been taught. And finally, Jean is getting conflicting messages from her new mentor, Kitty Pride. 
Kitty's the one telling her, rein these powers in, stop being irresponsible. But when Jean reads Cyclops' mind and finds out about a meeting with Mystique, Kitty goes after Cyclops and lets Jean entirely off the hook. So what is Jean being taught? Not to violate others with her telepathy or only admit to it when you get some good information. Jean is not a deranged criminal telepath. She's a young girl struggling with this overwhelming new ability whose best role model is the real criminal. So as often happens in the trials, the root of the problem leads us to the real villain, Charles Xavier. <laughs> bravo, bravo. Uh, yes. Do we have questions and or comments from the jury on this section uh, based, into, I mean, uh, especially things that may help you form your opinion when you're voting? I think everyone came in fully formed on this one. <laughs> I think everyone's allowed to make mistakes. Uh, I don't think she did anything enormously egregious, and she was apologetic and heroic afterward. As far as uh, her outing, Bobby, I've actually never had a problem with that story because, God damn it, I wish a friend had pulled me aside when I was a teenager and been like, "Dude, I know you're gay, and it's okay, and I love you." And, and he's I, being I, a jerk during that scene, like, because he's always a jerk to women. That was, like, the thing that bums me out about that scene is, is you're just like, yes, it is definitely wrong to out people. Don't get me wrong. Like, never use anything I say to out somebody and think that you're in the moral correct place. But it's also like, yeah, it's also horrible that Jean has had to listen to your bullshit for, like, this long now. And it's like, oh, you never grow out of this. Like she sees him in the future and is like, oh my God, you're still saying sexist things to women. Early uh, early announcement, we're doing the trial of Iceman later this year and there's a full <laughs> trial point about his bad puns and sexist behavior. I'm not joking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but I uh, I think she did it in a very compassionate way. If she'd outed him to everyone else, it's a very different story. Uh, so yeah. let's go ahead and vote here. Let's go uh, Regina first and then Alicia. One through five, five being the most culpable one Jean Jean is still so young and she's still figuring out who she is and how she wants to use her powers and what is the moral and ethical way to use those powers and she has had absolutely no good adult role model to show her this she is trying to figure her shit out she is trying to do things in a way that is not harmful to other people but she's trying to do it in a way where she can feel good about herself and the whole outing Bobby thing. I'm going to be very honest. I actually did that to a friend of mine. I have talked about this before. I was 19. I just was not mature enough to do it um, in a way that was gentler. <laughs> and she was much younger than me when she did this. Um, you know, and I apologized to my friend years later, but he was like, honey, it's fine because I just had the time of my life after I figured this shit out. So even though I went about it, maybe not the best way, I did do it privately. I did not do it in public. And she approaches him privately. She didn't do it in public. And it was important for his growth. So maybe not the best way, but again, she's a kid. Bobby was, kids. Bobby was never going to come out on his own. <laughs> he was not. He was not. Uh, but now look at him. He's out there living his best life in a happy way and in a healthy way. So yeah, Gene... She's just a kid. She's learning and she's learning her limits. She's learning how to obtain her own agency and be the woman that she wasn't allowed to be the first go round. So one. Alicia. I'm going to go two 
And I I was thinking about going three, just so we're all clear. But I'm going to because I do agree that she is very young and is figuring things out and is being put in this position where she didn't know all of this about herself before. But the reason I went two is because she if even if she doesn't trust anyone else in this timeline or doesn't doesn't have good leaders or professors or doesn't know who is her mentor, she has her friends and her teammates and they are trying to tell her like, Jean, this is not cool. And she still keeps doing it. And so that for me is that little bit of edge of like, she's dipping her toe and seeing what it would be like if she was morally questionable. <laughs> Uh, it is a one for me. It's interesting because we've been talking about Jean as uh, uh, like owning her own will and choices. If the message being delivered to this teenage girl is, I'm sorry, if you want to save the planet, you have to go back and be subjected to years worth of trauma. Otherwise, you're being selfish. And she's like, fuck you. I'm not doing it. And eventually she does it anyway. So even though she commits some, you know, minor telepathic offenses, she's ethical about it later, like apologizes and owns it. And then in that Shiar story, she's just fucking impressive. It's it's great to see her so powerful. Uh, Sarah and then Stephanie. I'm going to go with a two mostly because it's funny how many like genuine borderline war crimes Jean has committed, but kissing <laughs> Hank is like still like a two, right? You're just like, okay, <laughs> the kissing Hank thing was weird. But uh, otherwise, I think that like, honestly, her, pre her her using her powers is really, really impressive to me. I mean, it's she, you don't get to see it. She, ha she doesn't explore her powers because she's terrified of what Scott's going to think if she explores her powers, which is a big talking point in like the late or 90s right is like oh i'm i can't repress myself for you anymore basically and then she dies <laughs> but that's usually how like this is like okay well let's have an argument about this well i'll die it's fine i lost the argument um but she in this i think is really interesting she's doing stuff that yeah xavier would have taught because there's this idea of gene of if oh, she would have actually made it through, then like she could have, like if he hadn't have put like inhibitors on her mind, then she might have been able to resist the Phoenix Force on her own strength. But here it's like the inhibitors are there and then she's given the shocking result of the inhibitors later on and she still doesn't really have time to form herself, but she is still exploring and doing really well, I think, in a lot of ways. The mind stuff though is intense. So two, maybe even a 2.5 on that. Uh, Stephanie and then Noelle. So yeah, I'll go with the one. I would have gone with a two if she wasn't a teen. Um, you know, I'm going to go by what you said, Chad, that she outed Iceman in a gentle way. You know, I've had friends, uh, not on a sexuality uh, level that said, I wish I had a, I wish friends would have told me X, Y, Z and be more honest about other things. Um, and my life would have been quite different. I would have been happier. Um, and yeah, I'm not going to blame her for being efficient, for not wanting to walk into a shitty future. Um, so yeah, one, two, if she wasn't a teen. I'm going to go two. The second time she tries to stop Warren was pretty messed up. So uh, That gives us a nine out of 30 in that section. Uh, and we will now go to trial point two, which we are calling poison. The assigned jury member here is Sarah Century. The key issues are extraordinary X-Men number two, Venom 162. Sorry, I made you read a Venom comic, Sarah. No, you did. You made me read two. <laughs> X-Men Blue 22 and Venom 163. 
Uh, after settling into the present, still during the teen time traveling story, Jean Grey tried forming a normal life away from mutants, enrolling in school, kissing a boy named Chris, who turned out to be an anti-mutant creep. Uh, but she's eventually drawn back into mutant affairs and uh, is on a new team, the Extraordinary X-Men. After spending time with this team, she then rejoined the original X-Men in forming a team called X-Men Blue. They went off into space on a rescue mission with Venom after symbiotes took over the Starjammers. And then the original X-Men were taken over by symbiotes as well. And Jean briefly adapted to sh uh, sharing her telepathic mind with a symbiote and then uses her powers to invade the mind of a kidnapper named Hayes Manser to get intel on her missing allies. But she left the kidnapper alive as Venom challenged her on her personal ethics. Jean's symbiote and entire body were then taken over by a poison, which is a weird little race that takes over symbiotes and kills their host bodies to make them one of them and becomes a permanent member of their hive. During that time, she turns against the X-Men and her former allies in an attempt to turn them into poisons. She soon dies and later reconstructs herself from stray cosmic matter. Uh, over to Sarah's century. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. This is a, there's a lot of symbiotes in this, and it was kind of not that great of a comic. <laughs> I don't know. This is her, it's kind of in the aftermath of what we were talking about with the trial of Jean Grey, where she kind of has crossed some lines, and you start to see her pulling back. I think that the Jean Grey series that you mentioned were by Dennis Hopeless, I believe, like, there's a lot in that series where she's kind of like, okay, cool, why don't I just be boring? Because, like, this is too much for me and tries to kind of dial it back. Oh, Jean, it's too late. You'll never be able to dial it back because you're Jean Grey. But this story is um, just kind of a mess. She's, she's a symbiote in a fun way for a little while. Like, she's very venom kind of like the inner monologue like oh i can't let the symbiote take total control because then chaos will break out girl chaos is already here venom's here you're not going to get out of this without some chaos so it's basically that i feel like she does a really good job trying to rein it in on this like if i'm gonna i mean i would have a hard time playing the prosecutor on this because She's doing the best she can in a Venom situation, which is like once symbiotes show up, it's just like you're pulling out like the raid from like the get them out of here. I hate these guys. Oh, no, not the Venom symbiote. And then, of course, like Eddie Brock sits and like lectures her about morality, which is just like, get just let me go out. I need to close this comic and take a walk. He's like <laughs> eating brains man, the previous month. This man, <laughs> this Eddie Brock, who just like had a crush on Peter Parker that let he, he just let, let it get him to this place, right? Like it's just been <laughs> decades of this just because he's mad about Peter not flirting back with him or whatever. <laughs> Dear Lord. Yeah, no. But he does actually bring up some of the same points we bring up, you know, where it's just like, hey, Gene. Isn't it weird how you keep going into people's brains and doing whatever the hell you want in there? And she's just like, well, here's why I did it. And it's like, yeah, but you always have a really compelling reason for why you did it. I am on your side in many ways. But also sometimes you're just like, I mean, she stops. She does. She, he calls her out and she's like, fine, I won't kill this random guy, I guess, because Venom's a better person than me all of a sudden, you know? 
Interesting stuff. Um, I don't know. This was like Lemire era, like extraordinary X-Men, you know, it's kind of on the way out. Like the teens are kind of getting shifted out. It's like, but they're like, hey, let them hang around for a little while and we'll get some Venom stuff going on. Because at this time, they were really trying to make symbiotes happen, like left and right all over the place. Like they're like, bring them in over in this, like they're in Daredevil now. Like now they're over there. They're not just in the spider books anymore, folks. Symbiotes everywhere. But she's good. I don't know. She dies. She does the, the gene thing, the classic gene where she's just like, only I can save the rest of the X-Men and goes into battle and uh she does you know and that's it like the other the guys were not going to save the day I'll say that thanks Gene <laughs> thank you my friend uh what thoughts do we have from the jury on this section of Gene's time travel adventures it's exhausting I have, <laughs> I have one question so in this like her taking on the symbiote she does that from a place of like this is the only way to save people. Yeah, yes? it, it's like a it's a mess, but yeah. <laughs> it's not like, like a it's not any kind of uh desire for the power that the symbiote gives. And I they guess. all have symbiote, just to be clear. Like every single one of them, there's like Cyclops with the symbiote mouth and just all kinds of symbiotes. They're it's lousy with symbiotes, I'll tell you, in space. I love the, I love <laughs> I love it. I'm totally traumatized uh, from reading that and hearing about it again. Um, Venom was for like my brother. So I was like, felt like I was reading my brother's comics. Like I totally understand what I'm supposed to judge here. What Jean Grey was a spider. She was a fucking alien spider. Like, what am I supposed to judge here? It's like, <laughs> oh yeah. And then she does become poison, which I forgot about, but yeah, yeah, just, now she becomes the spider. That, yeah. That's all I remember. That face that, that, okay. So like, what am I supposed to judge here? Yeah, fair. Uh, well, let's go ahead and judge. Uh, Stephanie, do you want to go first? One through five. I don't know what I'm judging. I'm not going to. She's she's not guilty because she was a fucking spider. Like, so she's like two on account that her body did something, but it's not really her. So, okay, two. Noel and then Regina. Two, because if Venom has to correct you, that's probably. <laughs> I agree. Two. Um, Definitely not the best side of Gene I've ever seen. There was a spider involved. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, I, I have to say, Chad, just looking at the overview, you have done an amazing job separating actual Gene from Phoenix Gene. I know that was intent, intentful and purposeful, but I know that was a very difficult job. So you, uh, you, we should like pay you money. I work really fucking hard on this show, you guys. <laughs> yeah, you do. Thank you, <laughs> uh, Alicia, and then I will go. Listen, I, I'm i going to go easy on Jean on this one, and I'm giving her a one because, one, when Venom wants you to do something and he has his little symbiote bits in you, there's not much you can do. And, two, I cannot give her more than a one because I may have been like, yeah, I'll do it also, so... Uh, it's a one for me. She did her best. She was a hero. And then when she died, she fucking rebuilt herself anyway and saved the day. Yeah. So it's fine. Uh, and then Sarah. That's it. It's like one just because yet again, I don't know how the hell we're getting out of this without Jean. And that's why me, Jean's my best friend. If I'm on the X-Men, I'm not getting anywhere far away from Jean. I just want to be near her because A, she's great. But then B, because I don't want to die. And so Jean is the one who's always just like, 
I will sacrifice myself. And it's like, yes, girl. I mean, I'm sorry. Don't do that. You know, but like, yes, <laughs> like I'm going to live. So that again gives us a nine out of 30. Nice. Uh, we will now move to trial point three, which is the Phoenix Force. Uh, my dear friend, Stephanie Nina Pizzarillos is the, uh, is the uh, jury member here. The assigned issues here are uh, X-Men 100 and 101 and 105, and then X-Men 131 through 137. When the supervillain Stephen Lang, and this is a real bad guy, pushed the X-Men to the breaking point, the team was left on a plummeting spaceship and would surely die upon re-entering Earth's atmosphere. Jean Grey showed her incredible potential for power like never before as she downloaded intel from the brain of Peter Corbeau, knocked out Cyclops, and then prepared to sacrifice herself to save her teammates. As the ship was set ablaze, Jean piloted toward Earth while keeping the entire craft together telekinetically and her teammates protected telekinetically. The ship crash lands and Jean bursts from the wreck in a new costume surrounded by flame as she proclaims, Hear me, X-Men, no longer am I the woman you knew. I am fire and life incarnate. Now and forever, I am Phoenix. Though the X-Men were confused about her power levels, Jean settled into a nice life for a time, getting an apartment with Misty Knight, pursuing a serious relationship with Cyclops, but threats from space started showing up, uh, worried about her Phoenix powers. First it was Fire Lord, then the madness of the Shi'ar, the Imperial Guard, the Emkron Crystal. In the midst of this chaos, we see Jean start to reckon with being the Phoenix for the first time. She realizes that she did before, excuse me, she realizes that she died before and was reborn and is no longer scared of death. Then she reckons with the cosmic entity that she is and begins to get lost in a, the wonder of a cosmos that she couldn't be able to comprehend, but does. In the next period of time, Jean seems to struggle with the balance of being a human woman who also has unlimited cosmic power. And then the X-Men, most of them at least, were believed dead after a battle with Magneto. And for a time, Jean was uh, sought to contain the Phoenix, using its powers when needed, but worrying about the power and what it might do to her. She then started getting seduced with illusions and driven somewhat mad by the supervillain illusionist Mastermind. Go see the trial of Mastermind. We don't like this guy very much. Despite Scott and the X-Men returning, Jean was convinced to join the Hellfire Club, where she cruelly captured the X-Men and abused them uh, while seeing uh, them as all altered versions of themselves because of Mastermind's powers. And then she believes in the illusion that Mastermind has killed Cyclops in a duel, which then unlocks the darker nature of the Phoenix. Breaking free of Mastermind's control, Phoenix drives Mastermind mad. Issue 135 opens with the phrase, witness the birth of a god. Dark Phoenix goes red and yellow and starts lashing out of the X-Men. She tries to kill the team, then heads into space where she gets hungry. And a super, a, a super powerful infant, almost, yet a cosmic destroyer, she consumes a star and wipes out the entire planet of the Dabari. Then she kills some Shi'ar agents. Returning to Earth and going to the home of John and Elaine Gray, the Dark Phoenix was quickly overwhelmed by their thoughts and fear of fear and rejection. After another battle with the X-Men, Jean battled Professor X directly, and then she regained control of herself. But the Shi'ar had already teleported her to the moon, where the entire Imperial Guard was there to hold her accountable for her crimes. Jean was immediately sentenced to death, but the X-Men declared trial by combat to defend her, and she soon changed back into the Phoenix. The X-Men turned on Jean, trying to save her to burn her powers out before she'd be killed. And we're spending a little time on this because it's such a fucking great story. Jean says, Now finally, I truly understand what I am and what has to be done. 
Two beings, Jean Grey and Phoenix, separate, unique, bound together. A symbiote, Peter, not those symbiotes. A symbiote, Peter, neither can exist without the other. Phoenix provides my life force while I provide a living focus for its infinite power. So long as I live, the Phoenix will manifest itself through me. And as long as that happens, I'll eventually, inevitably, become Dark Phoenix. The Phoenix is a cosmic power. It can neither be contained nor controlled, especially by a human vessel. Return it to the cosmos, which is its home. Kill me. And Gene to Phoenix to Dark Phoenix, a progression as inevitable as death. I'm scared, Scott. I'm hanging on by my fingernails. I can feel the phoenix within me taking over. Part of me welcomes it. You want me to fight? I have. I am with all my strength. But I can't forget that I killed an entire world, five billion people, as casually, as unthinkingly as you would crumple a piece of paper. I want no more deaths on my conscience. Your way, I'd have to stay completely in control every second of every day for the rest of my immortal life. Maybe I could do it, but if I slipped, even for an instant, if I failed, if even one more person died at my hands, it's better this way. Quick, clean, final. I love you, Scott. A part of me will always be with you. And then she allows herself to die. Upon reflection afterward, the Watcher stated, the Watcher is the guy, the space guy that watches everything. He states, all beings carry within them a capacity for good and evil. All our actions result from the interaction of these two fundamental forces. Our reasons make us our reason makes us aware of these forces and likewise gives us the responsibility of choosing between them. Regrettably, not all choices are clear-cut, nor all conflicts obvious. This child achieved a level of power that placed her as far above humanity on the evolutionary scale as they are above the amoeba. She had only to think and that thought would become instant reality. But the phoenix is also a force of primal passion, and Homo sapiens is still as much a creature of passion as of intellect. Such passion is by its very nature seductive and violent. Jean could not help but respond to it, be changed by it, and in time overwhelmed. So she became the dark side of the phoenix, the black angel, chaos bringer. Yet, when faced with a choice between keeping her godlike power, knowing she would then wreak death and destruction across the stars, and dying herself, she chose the latter. That is what makes humanity virtually unique in the cosmos, my friend. This extraordinary capacity for self-sacrifice. This ability to triumph over seemingly insurmountable ob obstacles, if the cause be just, knowing all the while that to do so means certain death. The X-Men do not realize it. They may never realize or accept it. But this day, they have won perhaps the greatest victory of their young lives. Jean Grey could have lived to become a god, but it was more important to her that she die a human. Let me turn it over to Stephanie. Thank you, Chad, for recounting that masterpiece of a comic, X-Men 137, my favorite and why I wrote a whole novel around it. Okay, if you know me, I got my props. If you can't see me, I have the defendant here, Jean Grey as Phoenix, in front of me. And time to get into character. Prosecutor. When we consider the atrocities of horrific villains of our human timeline, we do not give ultimate weight to the narratives that formed their personhood, nor to the small good deeds that they also happened to commit before or while they were busy enacting genocide. Why? 
because the summation of their acts and dangers of their resurrections and history repeating are that severe and consequential. You do not look at Darth Vader and go, damn, he just killed all the younglings of Jedi school and now he made a Death Star and killed Princess Leia's entire planet. But oh, remember when he was young and a young and a hot Anakin Skywalker, Hayden Christensen, who was madly in love and it's love that made him do it. And oh goodness, they portrayed him in, as a virginal furrowed brow, ready to trot man dressed in leather with a sword. And I'll help you get that sand off you, mister. Okay, I digress. <laughs> But ultimately, we come to our senses, and it is his acts in life and their consequences to others that count. As any good mental health practitioner will tell you, girl, forget his words, forget his pretty face. What about his acts? What he does? Jean Grey, as a woman, is everything we're told to value. She's beautiful, loyal, girly, nurturing, capable, and in love. As a mutant, she's chosen to use her powers for good. But Jean Grey was also given a choice at a critical point in her life without considering the consequences when offered the chance to save her friends and her own life. She took a risk deadly to all of us. I submit to ev as evidence, exhibit A, laminated panels, totally lost my place, of Fantastic Four 286, I had no knowledge that I was actually going to be reading that live. I've been waiting for this for, what, 20 years? That adorned <laughs> the tile wall of my bathroom of my apartment for almost 20 years. Literally, what I read, I've had on my walls for 20 years. Thank you, Chad, for delivering this moment. The moment the Phoenix Force visited Jean in the shuttle and was told by it that perhaps she was making a deal with the devil for what's next. Just like Luke deciding to end his training with Yoda early because he sensed his friends were in trouble and leaving Swampland to Goba despite the risk of losing his ability to save the galaxy. Okay, okay, yes, I know this is an X-Men show, but Disney owns Star Wars and Marvel now, so kind of same universe. And holla for Grey Malkin Lane sponsorship, by the way. <laughs> Jean Grey crossed the line in allowing her body and selfhood to be forever shared with a cosmic entity, a risk she took at our expense including the 5 billion inhabitants of the planetary system of the Dabari star who died at her genocidal hands when she decided she needed to get a fix by consuming a star. Phoenix is not on trial here. Jean Grey is. But if we quote Jean herself with, while she weighed the burden of her existence to Colossus, neither can exist without the other. And so... Jean confessed to this during a trial when she herself agreed she needed to end her life because she was in inherent danger. So this portion of the trial of Jean Grey should not even happen if you believe in justice. Jean Grey was tried already, twice actually, and this score has been settled on the moon and it was done fairly. Did you see the room the Shi'ar folks set her up with the evening before? Full fireplace, elegant Hollywood flowing robe, a butler who calls her milady and delivers a specially made Marvel girl costume for the grand event. Jean took justice in her hands because she knows the frailties of the human heart and nostalgia can impair adult decisions. And so, like Jean always does, she took matters into her own hands. If genocide isn't enough, consider the personal stories of her acts on individuals, wiping people's minds at whim when they, albeit annoying, are wasting time towards the X-Men's goals, see Kitty Pride's dad, X-Men 131, 
Consider what she did to Jason Wingard, opening his mind to the infinite universe, knowing well that his little mind could never handle it. She left him as a vegetable. Heck, this is cancer culture time. Cancel her for calling Storm a slave. And don't come at me with that. She was under the influence of mastermind. If any of you still hold doubt about Jean Grey's guilt, her guilt in genocide, her guilt in influencing the world to a narrative that serves her, even if it's dressed in apparent justice, then consider her own thoughts shared in X-Men 101 when fighting Fire Lord. Jean talks about tasting the ecstasy of her power, of her drive towards kill, how it's like a drug. Then she opens a Stargate, aka Wormhole, reminding us that Jean Grey, in the height of her hunger for death, can be anywhere, anytime, delivering unscalable death when it tickles her, or simply when she wants to see Scott Summers' eyes again. Prosecution rests. Time for the defense. There are some lingering legacies we live with in this world. Sorry, I can't do a separate voice. Just pretend. <laughs> One of them is misogyny. How we expect the world of women and tear them down when they aren't beyond perfect or because they are perfect and the mob of little green monsters reign. We also have within our justice system protections for those mentally unfit for trial because their actions are not by their own hand, but because something is inherently unbalanced or undeveloped in them, preventing them from knowing the true weight of their actions. The story of Jean Grey is a story of a society deemed perfect woman who is also imperfect. A woman force-fed the addicted drug, drug of tapping into a lattice of the universe via crystal meth. Literally, it was a crystal containing the neutron galaxy where she first tasted it, and its effects were like meth. See, Macron crystal, or Ancron crystal, whatever you want to call it, in order to save the universe, and a universe bent on judging her for what this savior act then did to her. A woman who was mind-controlled by, quote-unquote, a group of wealthy industrialists who seek preeminent social, political, and economic power in the world, the Hellfire Club, end quote, a.k.a. the Illuminati. It's always the Illuminati, folks, so charges should be dismissed right there. But ultimately, the sin to a woman's downfall, as too often the case, is a man. A man who fucked her up, who gave no consideration to her life and the beauty of what her heart offers. In this case, Jason Wingard, the man who mind-raped her and had her live out a reality she had no choice in and ultimately unleashed Dark Phoenix. Sure, he gave us an iconic Jean Grey dressed in dominatrix leather, bustier, and cape, and that delicious black dress she wore to the Hellfire Club with the split on the chest that framed her open breasts and a diamond vulva. Did she use tape, or where, was she booby commando? <laughs> but do the material gifts men give you make up for all that they take from your heart and soul? Have no pity. For Jason Wingard's vegetative state, he only got what he asked for. To quote Jean, quote, I'll give you power, Jason Wingard, so as no living being has ever dreamed of, end quote. And wiping other people's minds? Are you judging Jean for being efficient? Because she gets the job done. Should she be held down to other people's lesser intelligence and capacity levels because it makes other people feel better? Why should Jean dim her light? She doesn't use this memory, mind, influence, power, and malice, but to protect mutants, to save lives. And Jean Grey eats stars, so what? Are all of you vegan here? 
Even so, whatever you eat, you draw the line of what constitutes intelligent life or life expendable because the dish is fucking delicious. Jean Grey is unfit to stand trial for so many reasons here. Though I cannot present evidence as it's not in my comics timeline to do so, I'm, I'm limited to Iconic 137, it wasn't Jean Grey who did anything as Phoenix, it was a separate entity as she slept under Jamaica Bay. And by the way, Judge Chad and esteemed jury members, I request that the prosecutor's Exhibit A presented as evidence be dismissed, the reference to Jean knowing she may have been making a deal with the devil because that happened in an issue not covered in this trial point. Since I cannot bring those other issues in as evidence, cough, cough, fantastic, for 286, then I'll humor you in that Jean Grey and Phoenix are one and the same. Then I'll point out what Jean Grey suffers from is multiple personality disorder, now called dissociative identity disorder, what every woman is forced to do to get through life because of all the shit the X-Men life demanded of her. Jean says it herself every time she is reborn. Hear me, X-Men, no longer am I the woman you knew. You see it in Tom Orzachowski's lettering. The voice of Jean changes from Jean, regular balloon, to the flared, heavily inked balloon with fire letters when it's Phoenix or Dark Phoenix talking. You see it in her eyeliner. Terry Austin's inks go overtime to give her that cat eye flare that I've yet to master. Help me, TikTok makeup artist lady Erica Taylor, damn it. <laughs> These are different people we are dealing with, not the same woman. I swear to God, I'm wrapping up, Chad. You're Ladies and gentlemen, and people of the jury, Jean Grey is also a product of pollution. Sure, radiation usually brings out wondrous powers in comics, but she fell into Jamaica Bay in New York City, Queens, described in X-Men 101 as, quote, the scummy, garbage-strewn water glows with an iridescent rainbow fire. I have fished over those waters in high school, myself looking for Jean's cocoon, as others watch the waters for movement in their fishing lines, the New Jersey upstate teacher and upstate teachers that trekked into Manhattan to teach us, I guess they felt bad for us apartment locked city kids and offered us fishing lessons, which we did in the classroom. Leading up to this one epic fishing trip in Jamaica Bay, we caught bluefish and flounders. I have seen real mutants people. I have seen the effects of that water. And I still ask, Ma, why did you cook the fish I brought home and feed it to us that day? Why? <laughs> what Jean Grey is ultimately on trial for is loving. Love is her greatest strength and Achilles' heel. It's how she saves her fellow X-Men, us strangers, and the back door for villains and boyfriends alike to get her, to get in her and undo her. This imperfect love is what saved us from a neutron galaxy. It saved us from countless villains. No matter what she does, Jean can't win. Jean is a victim here. Put her on trial, but do not weigh her with the guilt of her sinners. I rest my case. God, you're fantastic. I fucking <laughs> love you. Uh, what questions and comments do we have from the jury on that amazing essay? I just want to say that I loved every second of that. I'd like that there are props and I would like to see your comic tiled bathroom. <laughs> I just took part of, part of it off for the show. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. I'm ready for you to write a comic in which the supervillain is booby commando. <laughs> <laughs> I had free willing, but I was told that's for penises. So I, just, <laughs> I had to change it. 
I suppose my biggest question is, is it Jean or is it the Phoenix? And I think we've determined that it's the Phoenix uh, yeah. as far as I'm assessing. I don't know what you guys all think. I, I, I agree. agree. It is the Phoenix, but the fact that this part of Jean's personality was able to still come out in spite of everything that was going on and all of the death and destruction and everything that had already happened and was her person, the sheer force of her personality was still enough to convince the Phoenix, hey, you know what? It's time to go. We've got to let this part of our journey together end. The fact that her personality was so strong that it was able to assert that despite these feelings that the Phoenix is having and wanting to come out and just like, just go rampage among the stars because who hasn't wanted to do that? <laughs> and still make that sacrifice. Jeff's kiss. The real villain is John Byrne for drawing those broccoli people. Yes, but it's also <laughs> broccoli made correctly is delicious. <laughs> uh, do we have any other comments on this section? Stephanie, beautifully done. I love hearing you talk about this story. Uh, it's so good. God, that was wonderful. Uh, let's go to Noel first for the vote. One, it wasn't Jean. Uh, Regina and then Alicia. I agree. One, it's not Jean. And the force of her personality actually saved the day. It's a one. That's the Phoenix, baby. Wrong person it, on trial. It is a one for me as well. Sarah and then Stephanie. <laughs> I feel like as a vegan, I really should be more on the Dabari's side, right? Like, I'm always just like, oh, Dabari, oh, man. And I love how, like, in future stories, they're always like, well, the Dabari actually had to die for cosmic reasons. And it's just so funny to me <laughs> because it's just like, you shouldn't even really feel that bad because it was just the Dabari. <laughs> the Dabari probably lived full and happy lives up until that point. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if it's not Jean, it's not Jean, and Jean does do the right thing in the end regardless, right? I always am kind of torn because it's like, I don't want to lose it. I don't want to lose all the cool shit that happened up to this point, right? Because if she's in the Jamaica Bay at the end, like after the shuttle crashes, then that means there's a whole arc of Jean's character work that we just kind of don't get, I guess. Merging the memories together makes it, like, better. I don't know. I'm going to go, like two i guess i mean it's it's hard because she genocide <laughs> like there's a genocide here but i don't know like it's kind of presented like it's not her here and we can talk about that further right maybe it is a little bit more her sometimes or maybe it was the bad parts of her you know it's like it's always a struggle i think with the two of them if you want to hear the Dabari side of this conversation, Neil Clyde and I have an episode on Starhammer. Go look it up. It's an interesting oh, conversation. Good. <laughs> good. Uh, Stephanie. This is hard for me, guys. Um, I have to go four or five. And that's not easy for me. Um, I, I honestly think about this a lot. Um, I, I think about Darth Vader, my poppy Darth Vader a lot, right? Um, as someone that comes from a line of genocide, um, one closer to one side of my family than the other. Um, it's hard for me to just dismiss this as the Phoenix because it was Jean's body. Um, I'm also not a lawyer and I'm not a healthcare practitioner to understand how these things weigh out when we don't make, you know, so I'll put a little room there, maybe not give her a five because of the mental health. How, when are we accountable? 
But uh, I also know, you know, Jean comes back um, and um, Jean's fine with being Jesus Christ and sacrificing herself. And I think Jean was herself saying this is the best. So I don't want to give it a four. I don't want to give it a five. Um, but I am. One of the biggest shocks in Grey Welcome Lane trial history. Stephanie yeah. comes in with a five after all the ones. Amazing. I didn't pre-think that. I was hoping I didn't have to vote, but... <laughs> Uh, I mean, I love Jean, and it's like, it's a rough story. She, like, has a lot of really rough moments through it, I gotta say. Again, Marvel's biggest story of all time. I truly yeah. think it's, like, the number one in their history, like, the most fondly remembered. It's been made into, like, two movies and adapted into cartoons, and we keep talking about it. It's amazing. Uh, Stephanie, Dad, I will say, I will say. You could get me later and say, but actually, it wasn't her body, right? Wasn't she in the cocoon? But I don't know that from my trial point, so... I uh, again, we'll stay tuned in the far future for the trial of the Phoenix Force. We'll uh, we'll have a different conversation. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Okay, trial point four is what we are calling the telepath. The assigned jury member here is Alicia Wilder. This is a random smattering of Jean Grey appearances, including all new X Men number eight, all new X Men number forty, X Men volume one sixty five, Uncanny X Men three eighty seven, Uncanny X Men three ninety two, and finally X Men Unlimited forty four. During the time when they were time traveling, Jean used her powers to force Angel to stay with the team, violating his mind. Do you know what? We included that twice. I did not even realize that even after reading these notes like eight times. So we're just going to include it anyway. So she made Angel stay and then she outed Iceman. We already talked about it. <laughs> we'll kind of scare past it. Uh, then in an interesting trial point, as is going to be almost more general than specific, Jean is a telepath. Her powers have had their own ethical code and the use of those powers can be considered good or evil depending on the context. Jean reads minds, alters thoughts into its secrets. She puts people to sleep. She makes them believe they aren't seeing things that are there. She projects thoughts into the minds of other people without their consent. What defines these acts as heroic or not is a big part of this context. Here are some specific examples for consideration. Putting into this trial point, jury members are welcome to bring more up if they can think of them. When Professor X feigned his own death, then went into hiding in a sub-basement to pre prepare for the Xenox invasion, Jean kept secrets for him, lying to her teammates before, uh, but letting her teammates believe that Xavier was dead for months. Jean, later going by Phoenix again, was among the X-Men when they were attacked by mandroids and rogue members of the Imperial Guard who were working for Starhammer. Starhammer unmasked as Vuk, the only surviving member of the Dabari race, and he was there for revenge on Jean for having destroyed his planet as the Dark Phoenix. Jean claimed that the Dark Phoenix was its own entity and that she'd had nothing to do with the planetary destruction, and then she used her powers to make Vuk think that he had killed her so that he could move on with his life. Later, different story, Jean assembled a team of X-Men to handle a particular threat Magneto, and she forced the mutant Frenzy to join her team against her will, violating Frenzy's mind after Frenzy refused to be part of the team. Finally, when the X-Men became aware of human boys who were horribly torturing animals to death, Jean, alongside the character Squid Boy, who also has an episode on my show with his creator Chuck Austin, made the boys and Juggernaut physically experience the pain of what the animals had gone through in their tortures and deaths uh, in order to punish them. One of those children went on to become another Juggernaut, which is a crazy forgotten fact. Let me turn it over to Alicia Wilder. Ah, thank you, Chad. The ethical use of telepathy is such a tricky point, and I 
I'm going to approach it a little bit differently than prosecution and defense, but I'm still going to break it up into two sections. The first thing I think we need to do here is take the secrets that she held for Charles and the death and destruction that the Dark Phoenix caused and remove that from the equation. They can always come back into conversation if the jury has questions. I say this because when we're talking about the ethics of telepathy, I would like us to look at the motivation and intention as a key in the equation. When you have someone like Charles Xavier, who is your mentor and your leader, tell you to keep secrets from your team, you're following in order and doing that based on your loyalty to him and the cause. Therefore, it's not completely of your own will or choice. The same can be said for the tragic events of the Dark Phoenix and the death of the Dabari people. This was an, this was an entity outside of Jean and not Jean herself. So now let's look at the other points at hand. I've broken the the events that Chad has selected into two categories, heroic acts and personal choices or gains. The first, heroic acts, allowing the Debari attacker to think he had killed her. In his mind, there was no difference between Jean and the Phoenix Force. So by doing this, she saved him. She allowed him to seek his revenge and go on with his life. It does not hurt him to think that she is dead. And it does not do him any good to try to, to, try to reason with a man that has lost everything and take away the one thing he feels that he has left, which is seeking vengeance for his family. Now, let's look at the punishment for these boys who tortured the animals. This is the most morally questionable of what I would put into the heroic acts category. Yes, those boys were torturing animals. And yes, they deserve to be held accountable for that. But when we look at the aftermath, the outcome of forcing them to see and feel all that they had done, what we get are angry children who want to continue to destroy. They do, in fact, torture a cat, tie it to a brick, and throw it into... Jean's path as as a result of her showing them and these feelings and images. Now, during the process of finding out about the boys who did this, Jean linked minds with a dog that had been tortured by these boys. And I believe that it is safe to say that she was not thinking as clearly as she could have been in the moment of punishment. There was still a part of her that was a part of that dog that wanted revenge on them. And in that case, in the case of justice, revenge should never be the answer. And I say, as they say, an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. Now on to personal choices or personal gain. Warren wanting to travel home. This is the simplest in my mind and clear moment of Jean using her power being wrong. This is purely for personal gain and is extremely manipulative. It is very plainly there for her that altering a friend or teammate's mind so that the outcome suits her needs. Though it could be argued that she did it for the team, she never consults with anyone else and she offers no room for discussion after the fact, leading me to the conclusion that this was what was best for her. Let's talk about outing Bobby. The situation feels like a blurred line, a moment of misuse of her powers, a glimpse into how if she's not careful, she could turn into someone who just reads people's minds all the time without thinking or caring about it. But I also think it was from a place of love. It was done with just the two of them in a private conversation. And though that con- and through that conversation, she both saw how she was wrong in approaching it that way. And Bobby ended up feeling good about the outcome and feeling like he had an ally in Jean. 
Let's talk about forcing Frenzy to join the team. Force is the key word here. This is what made things easier for Jean. This is how she could get the job done. But being a hero should never include forcing someone to do something that is against their will. And if it does, it's going to put your morals in question, hands down. There were some other moments in these particular stories that weren't highlighted by Chad that I'd like to bring up and that fall mostly on the hero side of things. Jean uses her telepathy to free a prisoner from torture, to stop a gunman, and to save a young mutant from a mob. She also does some digging in the minds of some agents from Wakanda to come to see, who come to see Storm. It's purely because she wants to know what they're doing and they won't tell her, even though there is no seeming danger present. I think the key takeaway here is that Jean Grey is morally good. She generally has the best interest of all creatures at heart, but sometimes the sheer strength of her power and the forces which have trained her or guided her can lead her to use that power a little more than she should. Telepathy is a dangerous game because using it for personal gain is so easy. That brings us to the conclusion that Jean Grey is by no means evil, but she does do some questionable things and should be reminded to keep that in check. Beautifully done. The judge apologizes to the jury for including the Angel and Iceman stories twice. We can disregard those trial points, but thank you, Alicia, for preparing those points. And I'm sorry for including them twice. I didn't realize it. So uh, keeping the conversation restricted to Frenzy, Starhammer, and those little kids uh, with the animal torture. By the way, Chuck Austin won a Doris Day PETA award for that story because it's about animal abuse and like uh, empathy toward animals, which is interesting. What questions and comments do we have from the jury on this section? Or if we're ready to vote, that's also fine. I mean, I'm just going to say I love Frenzy so much. So this really infuriated me that this, I'm just going to say it, this white woman invaded a black woman's mind. We've seen that with Emma Frost and Storm. And now we get to see it with Jean and Frenzy. And it was just really fucking just, argh. I was so angry with her right there. But the whole like animal torture thing, if you touch my dog and you hurt my dog, they're lucky that they still had bodies because I would have atomized them. (laughs) And it doesn't have to be my dog. It could be a stray dog. You don't do that to an animal that is not hurting you. So I was totally team Jean for that part. So this this kind of gives me like squishy feelings because on one hand, it's just like, Gene, God damn it. This is why people think you're a bitch. But at the same time, you are heroic. You have your moments. <laughs> so this is the first part of the trial where I'm like ambivalent. <laughs> uh, okay, let's go ahead and vote here. This one, torturing children's minds, even though they were evil fucking kids and the frenzy thing. Uh, I also don't like the Starhammer story. These are her, like, Emma Frost moments, if I'm honest. And if it's Emma, I kind of get it. But when it's Jean, it makes me <laughs> mad. So we can blame the writers, but I'm going to give her a three in this section. Uh, let's go to Sarah and then Stephanie. Yeah, in the Jean Grey series, there's that great scene with uh, Jean and Emma where, yeah, G- Emma is just like, oh, so it just took all these horrible things happening to you before you started to act like me. And I think that that's just perfect wonderful moment because there is that inner interaction between those two and earlier we haven't even brought it up but she did totally put emma into 
multiple comas in her life. Oh, like, that's right. not like a one <laughs> a one and done thing either. Like it's happened like a few times. So when Emma's a bitch to Jean, you're just like <laughs> you kind of get it. <laughs> I uh, Emma, you are an asshole, but I I I get it. I be mad at Jean too. And she's like, everybody thinks you're so perfect and you're so mean. And I think that that's what we see here is, is that Jean is mean. Like, I think that we all have, like, as you're saying the animal thing, it's like, there has to be a three day period where nobody talks to me if somebody did something like that, because like, I don't know you, it's like your emotions. If you see someone, like if you see someone bullying someone else, it's so hard to not just be like, and no, I'm Phoenix. You called down the fire and now it's here. You know, there's something so fun about that, but that's why I love Jean is like, we, we really exercise this with her, I think is just being like, so what happens when your beautiful compassion ends actually? And I think that's a question I ask myself, like, every day you know it's like what happens when it when it runs out what happens when you come face to face with an emma for instance you know and it's just like that's where the anger comes out i'm gonna say a three on this stuff because it's pretty rough but it's and because i feel like i really went light on the dabari thing right you know it's like She's, a, but this is it, Jean, you know, like it's so complicated with her where it's like you just love her so much and you really want, because you want to believe it, you know, but even her, she questions herself all the time. And I think it's a good thing that she does because <laughs> I mean, you're not a hero if you don't. Uh, uh, Stephanie and then Noel. Yeah, I think I'm going to give her a two. I mean, again, she's being efficient. She has the power. She was teaching empathy with the doggy thing. You want her to say, oh, you guys are being bad. Well, she has a quicker way of telling them you're being bad. She let them feel what the <laughs> damn dogs felt, okay? Um, and then for the Dabari guy, it was a book, 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 book. Um, what was she going to do? This is the surviving member of their race from the planet she annihilated. He will spend his whole life just trying to kill her. She could have just killed him. You know, might as well finish it. What's one more, right? But she's not Dark Phoenix anymore. She's not going to do that. Um, so she kind of gave him what he wanted. It's kind of effed up for all we know. We're him and like some alien simulation and all like, oh, look, we're on an X-Men show. <laughs> Meanwhile, we're plugged in somewhere. Um, but I just say, what else was she going to do? This guy was just going to stalk her for the rest of her life. So self-preservation. Uh, Noel? I am torn between two and three. Uh, I think I'm going to go three. Um, I think she could more wisely use her powers, especially with, I think, with the dog thing. Like, I don't know. She can change people's minds, so make them not like that anymore. So maybe she she can use her powers more judiciously than she does. Yeah, but that's also we'd, we'd put her on trial for that too. <laughs> uh, Regina and then, uh, or, excuse me, Alicia and then Regina. Yeah, I'm going three. Three. I like had my vote before I even wrote my points because I just feel like nothing that she does here is like pure evil or like really with super malicious intent. I just feel that all of these things kind of leave a crack door to evil Jean open and like let her turn into Charles Xavier. And I hate that guy. So three. <laughs> and Regina. I'm going to give it a three also. Um, 
for all the reasons I stated. And the thing with Vuck was really difficult and painful, but I don't see a way around it where he could live with himself afterwards. She tried to give mm-hmm. him a measure of peace and he got that and he was able to move forward. But the whole kids and the dogs, well, that was awful. Yeah, one of those kids becomes a juggernaut and it gets weird for Starhammer after that. Again, go listen to the episode. We'll, we're not going to go there today. Okay, final trial point. That gives us a 17 out of 30 in that section, by the way. And uh, it's higher there than it was for genocide. So she's doing okay. <laughs> final trial point is what we are calling X-Men Red. The assigned jury member is Regina Givens. Uh, the key issues here are the entire X-Men Red series, volume one. Uh, alive again, but with Cyclops and Wolverine now dead for a while, Jean Grey wanted to make a huge difference in the world. So she surrounded herself with powerful allies, including Namor, Laura Kinney, Wolverine, Honey Badger, or uh, Gabby, and Nightcrawler. And she worked to foster mutant acceptance around the world, even demanding a place for mutants in the United Nations. Cassandra Nova fought back and made the world Jean, uh, excuse me, made the world believe that Jean had killed an ambassador. While taking refuge in Wakanda, Jean and her team illegally entered India to liberate the mutant criminal Trinary, who had redistributed wealth among classes with her powers, forcing an entire crowd to sleep, and then they stole a sentinel to return to Wakanda on. There, Storm attacked uh, with a sentinel in her brain, and Jean used her powers to free her allies. Uh, Her ally, uh, soon joined by Gambit as well, Jean entered Poland with the X-Men, where she psychically made the soldiers find empathy for the mutant refugees that they'd been ordered to kill. Then Jean offered the mutants asylum in her mutant habitat of Cerebro, S-E-A-R-E-B-R-O, under the ocean. Cerebro. While trying to gain evidence of her innocence, Jean sent a team in a situation unprepared, resulting in a sentinel crashing into a plane and putting lives in danger, but she soon proved that Cassandra Nova was behind it all. Jean had more than one confrontation with Cassandra before she defeated the woman by activating a sentinite, or a miniature sentinel, the same device that Nova had used to control others, in the brain of Nova in order to make her experience empathy for mutants, a violation of someone's mind, and leaving the villain free to attack other mutants in the future. She also uses her powers to unlock Gentle's uh, genetic potential in this series as well. Uh, The best moment in this entire series is when Gabby looks at Namor, and she's like, "Shouldn't your shouldn't your civilization be Abslantis?" Abslantis. <laughs> Let me turn it over to Regina. So, when we open this series, Jean is literally standing above everyone, like she's a god again, even though she just rejected the Phoenix again. <laughs> and she's kind of looking around, and she's just like, you know, I can feel. Everything that you're feeling, I feel your fear and your anxiety, and I want to help you, but I don't know how, but I'm going to learn. Now, she's been dead for a long time, so she didn't witness the events of decimation, the return to Utopia, all of the attacks that happened on Utopia. She didn't know what really happened with the Phoenix Five or with Scott killing Xavier or Scott's mutant revolution, which was so iconic, or what happened with the uh, mutants versus the Inhumans and the Terrigen Mist. So she just knows that she comes back to a world where mutants are still hated and feared. But she didn't go through all of those things, even though she knows about them. But she does know what happened with Genosha. She does know that Xavier spent a long time basically undercover. He People did not know he was a mutant for like decades in comics land. 
So she knew all of these things. And yet when Cassandra Nova shows up, she wants to be a care bear and say, we're going to fix this with love and understanding. And to me, this is the bigger sin than all of the other things Jean does during her X-Men Red tenure, <laughs> that she somehow still thinks that we're going to be able to fix this problem of hatred with compassion and understanding. And I'm going to share, you know, the, the, the feelings that these mutants are having while you're pointing your guns at them. Jean, are you serious right now? <laughs> and then she uses Gabby, who is a literal child to stab Cassandra Nova in the head to insert a nanite. So you're following the footsteps of Charles Xavier using child soldiers. Jean, come on, lady. You know what has happened with your life, and yet you're putting this child who, yes, is a fierce little warrior, but don't you think you could be showing her a different path by maybe not throwing her in the heat of battle? Hmm. So there's a lot of different things that Jean is doing, a lot of different decisions that she's making that maybe are not the most ethical. And after all that, she implants empathy in Cassandra Nova and expects this to heal her long term, which we find later does not actually happen. So, but this is this is a an issue that has been longstanding with the mutant community fighting back against hatred and how do you fight back against it ethically and not only has Jean failed to combat it ethically she's also failed to combat it in any way that actually stops it from happening so Jean I love you very much but have a lot of problems with what you did between X-Men Red 1 and 11 <laughs> this is Jean in her like trying to be an Avenger superhero movement, which I, I love it because she's trying to be very proactive and God, does it go wrong so many times, but she cleans up the mess by the end, you know? Like it's it's a pretty fun little read. Uh, what questions and comments do we have from the jury on this section of Jean's history? This this was like, I this was pantsuit Hillary Clinton Jean. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's how I read the whole thing. This is repentant Jean. Like, you know, I did a lot of bad things and... Yay, I'm at the UN. It was very Disney to me. Um, but that's what that I just immediately saw. I was relieved that she had her costume on by the end of it, like the suit trying to be like a human. You know, I just. This is Jean coming back from the dead and going like, holy shit, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> it's like your most, it's like me, your most dramatic friend, always showing up after like a really dramatic thing happens and being like, oh yeah, I just try to keep it chill. I'm just trying to chill out, you know, like I'm trying to be cool with everybody. And like, you're just like, weren't you like screaming on the street like a week ago? <laughs> like last time I saw you. And that's Jean basically is just being like, loses total control, dies a bunch of times. And then she's like, hey, everything seems like it got real wild around here. <laughs> I don't know what was going on while I was deceased, but I also like that she tries to reach out. That's something that's huge, I think, because that's like the mutants always being so isolated, right? And being having Jean come out and be like, you know what? I'm going to like call some people 
how about that? Like, that's just wild. That's something we've never seen any of the X-Men do, really, she, unless they had to. She was prepared for so much chaos. You could not prepare for Cassandra Nova. But yeah, the empathy thing didn't turn out well. Uh, because we're getting close to time, let me have the jury members all, if you would, just type your response into the chat bar, and I will come up with our final. As we are wrapping up, I would love to hear from each of you how you're feeling at the end of this conversation. We did not take time to talk about the Gene and Cyclops relationship or like, you know, some of the, the more complex stories. I wanted to keep this very focused on Jean as a character herself. I'm fascinated by how she kind of shakes out over these eras. There's a lot of time when she's dead. There's a lot of time when she gets to come back and be epic. It's, a, it's an interesting piece to put all of this together in one place. Uh, so I will give the final score in just a moment, but let's share final thoughts as we are doing our outros. Uh, if each of you will tell people where, uh, the, the, the listeners, where they can find you online. And if there's anything you'd like to plug, we're going to put this episode out on February 22nd. Uh, so let's start with Alicia while I'm doing my final math on the score. Yes. Okay. Well, first of all, Chad, thank you as always for having me here and being a part of this trial. I love these so much. I always feel like I learn so much, especially as a newer X-Men reader. It's really great to get to to just learn about characters and hear the perspectives of other fans, especially this group of awesome female fans. That's really dope. Um, so yes, I'm Alicia Wilder. You can find me in two places on the internet. You can find me at the ex-wife podcast. That's T-H-E-X-W-I-F-E as in X-Men, not former wife. And you can also find me at, at Wilder Moves if you want to follow my cosplay journey. Um we just really chat about the weekly books um, on the Ex-Wife podcast. We talk about the books as they come out weekly. So we're going through the fall of X uh, right now, which is Brain Explosion Central. But it's super fun. And I love being here. And I love doing this. And I love nerding out with all of you. So thanks for having me. Uh, let's go to Stephanie next. Such a blast. So much fun. Um, thanks for having me. Um, yep, Stephanie Nina Pizzarillos. You can find me on most social media platforms as The Nina Galaxy. Also, Linktree will send you to my website. My website's my long name, Stephanie Nina Pizzarillos. But if you look for The Nina Galaxy, you will find me. I have an exciting Kickstarter uh, coming up April 9th for my short story debut collection told in comics, prose, canvas work, and photography. It's called Event Horizon, Stories of No Turning Back. It's sci-fi, it's sensual, it's literary. It's themed around black holes and their unforgiving boundaries. I'm really excited about it. Um, Karen S. Darbo, uh, the one and only, uh, has done my cover. And I have some surprises coming up. So a lot of amazing artists are on board, including, including Seth Martell, of course, Chad. Um, so do check that out pre-launch. Um, if you sign up, you get some free stickers. It's just going to be a blast. In October or in the fall, I do have uh, a graphic prose story coming out with Ohio State University Press, Cocinas to Lucha Libre Ringsides, Latino graphic stories of sports, food, and madness. So a little bit of everything for me. Stephanie, mad respect. I've had a peek at Event Horizons. It's going to be a genuine treat for people. So make sure you check it out. We will certainly post links and I'd love to have you back on to talk about it sometime. Uh, final scores, by the way. The final category, Gene got a 12, which when we add it all together is a total score of 58 out of 150 or a 39% on our scale. Uh, so pretty good. She did all right. Uh, considering right, the genocide yeah. story. That feels I, I, I bumped okay. it up. Sorry, guys. <laughs> no, it's okay. Plot twist. <laughs> Somebody had to. Somebody had to, frankly. Uh, let's go to Noel next. 
Yeah, I feel like Jean, you know what? She just does her best, whatever that turns out to be. Um, you can find my podcast, X-Men Unraveled, uh, wherever you're getting this one. And I pretty much live on Instagram these days. You can follow my podcast at X-Men Unraveled. Um, and I post all my updates and everything there. It's so good to see you, my friend. Uh, over to Regina. You can find me on the House of X podcast on Instagram and Twitter, or X as they call it these days. Um, you can find me personally on Instagram, Blue Sky and Threads at the Red Queen of X. And we would love it if you guys joined us at the Uncanny Experience. Visit us at theuncannyexperience.com to enroll in the Xavier Institute starting September 28th and 29th of this year. Um, Alicia's going to be there. A bunch of really awesome people are going to be there. We can't wait. And Chad's going to be there too. I'm right Chad's here. Be <laughs> it was so good to meet you last year. I had such a great time. I was working the vendor hall, which is probably where I'll be this year. Uh, but it was just so fun to meet all of these amazing X-Men fans from literally around the world. And um, it's a great experience for me. So we talk about that weekend all the time on my show. It's wonderful. I can't wait to go back. Uh, and so then excited. Lastly, lastly, over to Sarah Century. Yes, I am Sarah. Don't find me on social media. I quit. But you can find me at my website. I didn't know if you know this, but I'm actually Sarah Century of sarahcentury.com. So you could head over to sarahcentury.com. Sign up to my newsletter because, uh, I mean, if you want to hear about my pets like a lot, you could sign up to my newsletter. And also I have about 15 jobs and you can hear about all of them there. Also, on top of that, for final thoughts on Jean, I want to just say I have one note that is written in this doc that I just want to make sure that I get out there, which is Jean is a commie. I'm pretty sure that Jean is a communist, and I think that that's very cool. I believe that if anybody's going to unionize the X-Men, it's going to be Jean, and I really support her in that. I am an enormous Jean Grey fan at the end of this conversation. She's not my favorite. She's not even in my top five, but I like this character a lot. I love her relationships with other people, with Rachel, with Scott, with Wolverine, with Emma. I think she's complicated. I think she is, again, the Captain America of the X-Men. She's the MVP in a lot of ways. I have a lot of stories I want to write about a lot of characters. I don't have a Jean story. I see Jean as the good side of Xavier. She's the one heir of Xavier that like did it right. I mean, Cyclops kind of as well. But the uh, the two of them, I'm very affectionate about these characters, even though they're not on my favorites list. I, uh, I I I can't get the image of like her in like ultimate fashion, like Russell Dowderman design at the Hellfire Gala, being like beautifully murdered by Moira out of my head. That like the images they keep posting of her in that like green like bird of prey dress with like the blade coming through her chest. It's so gorgeous. I love her in the Krakoan era more than anything. She has been an enormous MVP, the heart of the team. Uh, I love this character. She's wonderful. And I grew up with five sisters. I have tremendous affection and respect for women in general. But uh, this is the second trial where I've had an all-female jury. Lorna, Lorna Dane was the first one, and now this group here. And can I just tell you all uh, how tremendously I am, I'm just honored to have you here and sharing your opinions and to feel safe in this space as the dude in the conversation. This is an incredible character, and I'm so grateful to have all of you here. Thank you. Just mad respect for each of you. 
Uh, I keep my own social media private because I've got kiddos. The five of you are welcome to add me. I'm only on Instagram, basically. Uh, but the show you can follow, uh, Graymalkin underscore Lane on Instagram. We also have a Discord. Uh, please feel free to ask for the link. We're having some good times. Uh, Taylor Vessel's doing incredible uh, videos for us on TikTok recently, so make sure you're following those. It's new content from the show. The new eras in the 70s has been uh, phenomenal. I am forever grateful as well uh, to Scott DeGeest, who's running the Discord, and Seth Martell, who continues to do art for the show. By the way, Stephanie uh, Stephanie and I are both close personal friends with Seth. Seth texted a minute ago and said, I hope you're having fun, and then just sent an emoji of a pair of jeans, which is- Love him. He always texts me. He's like, love Seth. He's the best human. I, uh, I'm very grateful. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. The next show immediately after this, we will be jumping to the uh, Astonishing Tales number three, the first appearance of Zaladane, with the incredible combination of Luciana Vecchio, Cena Grace, and Patricio Oliver. Uh, on the Patreon right after this, you can find us uh, talking about the weird character Wondar the Aquarian. I don't know how it happened. Daryl Lawrence convinced me and Christian Smith's joining us. And I hate this character, but we're going to talk about him and it's going to be fun. So we'll see. Uh, he's uh, he's weird. Uh, the next trial in March, there will be no trial, but we are having five incredible novelists coming on to discuss world building and the impact on popular fiction fantasy on the Marvel realms of fantasy. Uh, it's going to be a fascinating conversation. And then in April, be prepared for a month we are calling the Sentinel Takeover. The trial that month will be a uh, crash course on the entire history of the Sentinels. And boy, is that a conversation. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you especially to these incredible women here today. Uh, we'll see you back here next time on Dream Alton Lane. Thank you for listening to Gray Malkin Lane. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. Gray Malkin Lane is produced and recorded in Salt Lake City, Utah, with music and editing done by my husband, Michael Bell, and promo art done by the incredible Seth Martell. Look for us on Patreon, where we are releasing weekly episodes about obscure characters and facts. Uh, it's a great way to participate with the podcast for only just a couple of dollars a month, and it helps support what we are doing here. Also, the best way you could help Graham Malkin Lane is by sharing and liking and subscribing, but also please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you back here next time on Graham Malkin Lane.